0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Connecting to the Big Show.
2: In three, 20, now, one yeah. I'm worried driving the car without the NCT test I'm not going to give this any more credence I'm not going to let the person win I will not be a victim we have nothing to put the patient onto so they're safer on an ambulance trolley what I get in the morning TJ is crack. it's like howdy join the conversation call 0818 969696. 96, 96,
1: 96. Extra whatsapp 83
2: 3969696 email opinion at 96 fm
1: this is The Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM.
3: Morning. We will be shucking around with some oysters later. That's another one now for the lads in the morning. Give <laughs> us the two of them. Yes we will um, The world champion Oyster shucker. What is oyster shocking? I'll tell you later We'll be in town soon But I'll be chatting to him live From uh, Toronto, Canada That's just one of the things We do today Also talking to somebody Who is living in Spain From Cork Living in Spain The last 16 years or so And is thinking about coming home And I want to know What you'd advise right? I'll talk to him in a while But I'd want to your advice Would you come home Would you stay away What would you do That's that's coming up In a little bit Plenty more besides Oh yeah uh, Does anybody know What this is Now there was A delegation In yesterday There was dignitaries In yesterday From From Pakistan Visiting City Hall um, I don't know Whether this is connected If it was Somebody will tell me But nobody seems to know What was going on Last night Around 10 o'clock I was driving past the city hall about 10 o'clock last night I wasn't able someone in the car with me I wasn't able to stop and investigate and see what it was all about but there was a crowd outside city hall at a I would say about 10 last night and they had a banner and I couldn't read what was on the banner it was green Um, does anybody know what that was was it connected to the, uh, the Pakistani delegation that were in for the day or what was it um, if anybody knows, let me know. I don't wait, one 96 Among other things, we had a shortage yesterday of doctors, shortage of dentists, shortage of teachers, and we have a chronic shortage of preschool places. If you have smallies and you're trying to get them into preschool, I know it's a struggle for you at the moment. And I'm also hearing that now, literally the day that a pregnancy is confirmed people are starting to look for a place the smallie might go to preschool. That sounds like utterly, utterly bonkers. John Bowman has BEL childcare in Douglas. John, you've been affected badly. Everyone's been affected by the closure of Little Paradise, but the sector is getting more and more squeezed, it seems, with every passing month. Good morning.
4: Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on and taking an interest in this. Absolutely, it's it's become in, uh, near uh, impossible for parents to get uh, child provision, unless, as you said, they're booking really, really far in advance. And, you know, it's not anecdotal. I mean, we have uh, women ringing as soon as they're 12 months pregnant, as soon as they're confirmed and they're telling people that they're booking places. Um, it, it, it's really, it's it's awful because... I mean, you're, you're assuming it's all going to go to plan, but I mean, this is the reality of childcare in Ireland at the moment.
3: Why is it so squeezed?
4: Because there's a huge demand for it and the climate for providers like myself to reinvest is challenging. I mean, we not so long ago, well, less than 12 months ago, actually, we agreed to a fee freeze to facilitate uh, more money coming into the sector. And that money was to go to some of our our, our teachers and to allow parents to get a reduction. And last budget, there was a 25% reduction came in for in the fees and there was a minimum uh, wage set for our sector. Now, these are all very progress these are good things i mean the parents have been paying too much and teachers haven't been paid enough but to take part in this core funding scheme as it was called uh, schools like myself had to say that we were going to we were our fees were going to be frozen at 2021 levels but the undertaking on government's behalf was that they would they would fund us from there and despite a year where we've seen inflation spike to nearly 15% we were offered a 2% increase in our fees in the capitation coming in from the state. Mm. And we're also facing an increase in the minimum wage that if SIP2 get their way, could be go up to two euros. It could be a two euro increase. Now, nobody in our sector has an issue with the pay increase. We, we all agree that our teachers are undervalued. But the problem is, we can't turn to parents to, ta- to get the increased monies. And government less than twelve months ago undertook that they would fund us, and as I said, the ink isn't even dry on it, and they are giving us a two percent increase while threatening a twenty percent or a fifteen percent pay increase. Uh, you know, it's it's just bonkers, and this is why there's no places, PJ, because you know, other, other than the likes of myself who are committed, and this is this is our livelihood. Mm. I mean, if you're from the outside looking in, you wouldn't touch it, PJ, would you not? Well, well, you wouldn't because, I mean, the the the, the admin is, is, is crazy. Now, now,
3: the reason I ask that question, John, yeah. is because one looks at the sector and hears from parents here that call me and tell me how much it's costing them. And for many people, it's like a second mortgage. So if I'm shoveling the bones of a second mortgage into childcare every month,
4: then I don't know why it wouldn't Where be a viable going? business. Yeah, where's it going? Well, I mean... Well, this is it, PJ, because nobody, the, the one thing missing in this equation is nobody turns down to the provider and goes, what does it cost you to deliver that service? You know, we always hear, oh, it's a second mortgage, it's a second mortgage. It is a second mortgage because the level of care that we're providing doesn't come cheap. And to be honest with you, PJ, for years, services like mine have actually been subsidizing it for the small ones. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of services stopped taking the under twelve, uh, under twelve months, there a couple of years ago because it wasn't viable, and so on. I mean, it, it, you can't. It's not. It's not a viable business to take the smaller ones, and until the government actually put the money in that's required, that's going to be the case.
3: Focus on that for a second. The smallies. Why is it not viable?
4: Because. To take because them? Okay, because if you were and I know this sounds so callous, you know, I mean, we're talking about children almost like a commodity, but this is what the government have done to us. They've commoditized our children. And if I'm to take under two year olds, if I'm taking under ones, the under 12 months, the ratio is, is three children to one adult. If it's under two, it's five children to an adult. But the real kicker here is the amount of ancillary space required because of the sleeping arrangements. I mean, if I, I have, I have a, a, a service that it's dedicated to the under uh, threes, and I have. I think it's about four and a half thousand square feet. Two thousand of that square feet is given over to sleep rooms, nappy change facilities. Uh, we have a bespoke kitchen. All of these things to deliver the service we want, you know. And but these are this is delivering the service within the requirements and the regulations. And um, nobody has any issue doing it. It's the safest way of doing it. It's mm-hmm. worked. We have a really good childcare system here, but it costs PJ, and that is the bottom line. If I'm going to leave half my premises um, to support the other, the, 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 the money making half. You know, you, 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 it's not hard to see how it, how it becomes very difficult to make ends meet. Plus, you know, the um, the admin costs have gone through the roof in the last couple of years because we're now administering this scheme on behalf of the government, the National Child Care Scheme. Yeah. Every child who comes to us is on a subsidy. That subsidy has to be docked, uh, uh, reduced, taken out of their way at their fees every month. Um, they, their attendance is tracked. What has what has gone from being a child-focused, a child-development-focused sector, where you where you, you 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 look at nurturing that child, has become an admin sector. It's like what's happened across the health service. You know, you you have you're wondering why there's no doctors and no nurses when you've got three quarters of the HSE staff. Well, that's an exaggeration, but about half the HSE staff sit and pushing paper around the place. Mm. And childcare is moving in the same direction. You know, it's a, there's also this move towards everybody has to have a degree in the sector. I was just you know, going to I'm, get
3: to that one, John. Yeah, uh, of late uh, the sector has required higher qualifications and, and without yeah. identifying anybody somebody shall we say in in our circle our family circle that we extended family friendship circle was working for years and i mean years in a crèche this is a woman who herself had raised four or five children and her boss turned around to her one day and said sorry you're going to have to go and get a qualification
4: I... Yeah, I mean, it... Ah, uh, look, I mean, it, it's, I mean, and again, I mean, I, I'm all for professionalising the sector. I'm all for qualifications coming in, bringing knowledge, this technical knowledge. But where's the practical knowledge? I mean, as you said, PJ, somebody, a family friend, you know, years of experience, had raised their own children, ran out of childcare because they weren't able to go back and get a level five or six. Now, there was provision made to allow people like that to stay in the sector. They were given a lot of time to go and upskill, but that doesn't suit everybody. Well, and it's costly I, for a start, John. Well, it is costly. It, it is. And actually, that's a really good point, PJ. It is costly to qualify, and particularly now with the degree. And then you get into the sector and the wage doesn't match the, the qualification or the expectation. And this is why we have fabulous childcare graduates in Ireland where they're coming out of the universities and out of the, te- the technical universities and out of the, uh, the likes of the College of Com. Fabulous courses, fabulous staff. And they look at the sector and they go, Shamango, I'm going to Dubai. I'm going to Abu Dhabi. Yeah. I'm going where I can earn. Twice, three times it, no tax, come home with a ball of money and attempt to get it on the property ladder. You know, for young people who, who are looking for a way to, 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 get, to be, get ahead, you, you, I don't see how childcare is attractive to them anymore. So why do you stay sure. in it, John? Because it's my livelihood. I mean, I'm I'm at it for years. I mean, I'm committed. I'm invested heavily in it. You know, yeah. And and the, and the, this is it. I mean, and and this this is the and this is the government's the cynical thing on behalf of the government. They know. They have quality childcare. They know they have private individuals like myself and my wife um, and Bell childcare on the hook because we're we're invested up to our ears. We can't bail out of it, and the the, the only chat the only option is to keep going forward. You know, it's it's like it's like going into the bloody ice fields. You know, <laughs> you see the first iceberg, and you go, "Oh, yeah, we'll get round it." But I mean, we're we're approaching it. It's just a sea of ice. I mean, every time you try and get forward, there's another obstacle thrown up in your. I mean, as I said, the, the sector this time last year. W- was tentatively happy about the moves the government was making. We, we were looking at an ERO, which was going to finally put in a minimum wage. What's an ERO? Um, there was uh, big pardon.
3: What, what is an ERO?
4: It's, it's an employment regulation okay. order. It it it's where the government come in and they set a minimum wage for a sector. It's happened in a couple of different industries. Yeah, yeah. But so we, we 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 had that. We were feeling okay. Finally, our teachers are being are being acknowledged as, as professionals, and there was talk of this core funding package, which was going to finally address. The, the funding for the smallies, for the under threes, and 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 accept the fact that providing care for those children is far more expensive than the preschoolers. You know th- this is why. I mean, you you saw over the last number of years preschools popping up and then and these after-school services because there there's money in those. It but where what's really needed and to get people back to work and to allow people to plan strategically plan is access for the small children for the for the twelve yeah. twelve months and over. That's where the focus needs to be. Twelve months ago, we thought the focus was there. We looked at the core funding and we thought, finally, as I said, it's being addressed. And we agreed to a fee freeze. We we said to government, we warned government, guys, you are n- we are now beholden to you to keep our business sustainable. Okay. And as I said, within twelve months, they're they're threatening a fifteen percent pay increase for our staff, and this is this is forced upon us. This isn't something optional. This is forced. Mm. And yet the the funding the funding is two percent increase. You know, so you're, you're saying, know, saying
3: I think John, you're saying yeah. I don't begrudge my staff a good wage but i need funding to pay it
4: but this is it i don't begrudge parents i mean but the, again the role and this is this is the why Peach i think we are reaching a crucial time a, a real pinnacle a, a pivotal time in childcare because the government are you we're used to as providers we're used to the government breaking promises to us they do it on a regular basis but the parents this time round, I mean, O'Gorman, Roderick O'Gorman came out and promised there would be another 25% reduction in child care fees as part of this NCS. They undertook this 12, 12 months ago. They do 25% last year, which they did. They do it further 25%. Again, they're rolling back on that, you know. So there's no serious commitment to funding childcare property in this country, and it's going to take something radical, PJ. It's, it's, I think it's going to take providers and parents really standing together and go, "This is unacceptable." Now, there was, a,
3: there was, there I mean, was. I'm not certain on the time scale, but there either was or there is going to be a meeting in Cork this week. Uh, has it happened, or what will happen? At that meeting,
4: I, th- I, th- I think there's a meeting scheduled possibly for the 27th of August. Okay, um, I know I mean, there, there's a lot of groups, there's a lot of providers out there angry, you know. Uh, um, and feel as if, if their values, if their services are are not valued, and they're not. I Me, mean, PGI, I my, myself was a, was a, There was a big protest there in February 2020, just before the pandemic, um, which was a really galvanising moment for the sector. But unfortunately, the pandemic came, and that that kind of changed that. But there's momentum gathering again because, you know. Uh, P- likes of myself are looking at our businesses being barely viable, or in some cases worse. I mean, their services closing. You started the piece about Little Paradise yes. there in Frankfield; they're they're neighbours of ours. We're we're over in, in in Donnybrook and Douglas. You know, to see services like that, beautiful, I mean, lovely bespoke building, and not able to go on. I mean, this is going to be a become become a recurring theme. And you know, what's going to happen is you're. Going, it's like every. It's like it's like the public transport. PJ. What you will have is where it's viable affluent areas, bits and pieces, you will have childcare. But the minute it becomes more challenging or less viable, you won't have it. You know, mm. it's like the, the rural bus routes. I mean, that's not how to run childcare. I mean, parents, sh- there should be absolute access to childcare. In my own personal opinion, PJ, childcare should be free in Ireland. You know, the likes of myself should be funded properly by the state to get mm. out and do what we can. There, are, we many, do. there are
3: many places you where know, that is the case.
4: Exactly, exactly. You know, and and it's been proven over the years, PJ, that, you know, a well-funded early years sector has massive societal benefit. Yeah, you know, it 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 gets people. To, I mean, your 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 employment rates are better. The level of work that people are getting is better. They're better earners. There's more tax going in the system. I mm. mean, for a country who's looking down the road at an aging population, challenging with, to meet pensions, we should be we should be looking at kickstarting our children in every way, shape, possible. Our constitution you know, talks
3: about them. treating all the children equally. I, I, I somehow think we're falling short, John. Just lastly, in terms of the of your of your own operation, about how many children can you cater? for At maximum capacity,
4: we we have a TUSLA capacity of one hundred and thirty children. If okay. we Now I have two services. I have a small service which does the. We have uh, fifty three capacity, and they do the under threes because, as I said, it's it's a different dynamic. Sure. And then we have, for our preschool, we have an 87 capacity. And that's more like a small primary school, which brings me back to the, the, the cost of doing this, PJ. You know, can you imagine what primary schools would cost, what you would cost for a year in primary school yeah. if the state weren't funding it? And that's where one teacher can have up to 33 children in a room. You know, there's no sleep facilities. I mean, Many providers you, have you, said,
3: John, bring us under the realm of something like the Department of Education and fund us as part of the educational system.
4: Yeah, but you know something that the, the funding that's going into the educational system is woefully inadequate as well. I mean, I, I I don't mind being left. To be honest with you, I'd like to, I mean, the current department that we're under is far too broad. I mean, Roderick O'Gorman's brief is ridiculous in in, in its diversity. You know, I mean, each one of those, tie, each one of his sections would demand a ministerialship. Um, But as I said, if you're ever up for a serious conversation about how much it costs nuts and bolts, PJ, to run Schalke, come back to me. Because I will lay it out and I will explain to the parents. Who, who gripe about a second mortgage. I'm very,
3: very interested in seeing some of those numbers, John, I and mean, we will discuss it maybe again, but come back to the 130 people, kids you can mm. take in at maximum capacity. So mm. here's someone who's like, uh, you know, has a, a maybe a, a newborn or is pregnant and about to have a child. Mm. When could you fit that child in?
4: At this stage, I mean, we are, what is it, August 23, September 25... Whoa. You know, August. Oh, yeah, September. August, September twenty-four. Full. We have waiting lists extending beyond that. I, I'm taking registrations for our ECC class for September twenty-five. Currently, crikey, no, you know, and right, that'll John. and that'll be full, and that'll be full. I mean, as I said, I mean, but as I said in. It, to John Bonham on the Echo, this is a far easier problem to solve than the housing, than the medical, than anything else. If the government took a step back from this, acknowledged the fact that there are really decent providers, decent business people in this sector, and gave us the wherewithal to do it. And I'm talking about just freeing up a bit of capital, you know, giving us a, a level playing field, setting a rate that we knew what our income was going to be over the next five years. You know, lock it into inflation, then the likes of myself would walk into banks with a solid business model, with a proven demand for what what we're doing, and we would add that capacity. All right. And in the private sector, yeah, and private sector, And you mean, know, if, if there was no, pl- you know, if planning, I mean, we'll follow the rules, but let it be fast tracked. We would have that capacity. We would have that capacity output in three years, I'd be confident, right. you yeah. know, because because, I mean, people like myself will see it, will see an opportunity and we will go for it, you know. But the climate has to be right, PJ. And it's not at the moment. I mean, we, when you're going into the bank, going, yeah, so wh- where do you get all oh, my fees? I can't up my fees to my customers. So who's your customer? Well, the government is now my primary customer. And what are they doing? Well, they're shafting me, <laughs> you know, well, it's, you it's, it's like, you know, they, and that's and that's the vicious circuit. And then you've got every oh, there's no capacity that yeah, there is no capacity, because as I said at the start, I mean, you don't want your head examined. To be going down this road at the moment, so I mean, all we would really, really love would be the government to sit down in a proper professional manner with us and give us some sort of continuity. Say, guys, for the next five years, this is your income stream. Right. You know, we're going to index link it. You're going to be getting X. We acknowledge that the small children are more expensive to 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 uh, to care for. Um, And we'll fungi and, you know, because there's mechanisms in place now, PJ. This is this is the galling thing about it. We have an euro going on. You know, the government are looking at wages in the sector. We mean all our income is is completely regulated now because everybody's on a scheme of some description. There's software packages all in place. It's an unwillingness to spend the money that's the problem. What
3: I'm looking at or listening to is a businessman who understands his business backwards and wishes the government had the same understanding of his business, uh, because they're his biggest client. John, thank you. John Bowman of BEL Childcare. So if you're looking to get in there with Smalley, 2025 is the earliest he'll even be able to consider you. That seems to be the situation across the board in childcare. Yes, it is like a second mortgage, but as I said, and I'll have that discussion with him someday, I can justify every penny of that fee. 0818 96 96 96. Are you trying to get a smallie into childcare or into preschool? What's it costing you? I don't know. Mine are long gone from that. Thanks be to the What is it costing? I'd love to hear from someone who has just managed, say, to find a place or managed or is maybe trying to get a second child. What's it costing uh, in terms of Raw cash per month to put your children uh, into proper proper care, proper proper preschool. 0818 96
2: 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. 96 FM.
1: Here's some of the winners from the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards.
2: Best of Cork Awards. Best of all.
1: Best Hairdresser 3 Degrees Best Salon Sarah Louise Beauty Best Barber Peaky Barbers Best Bar Murphy's Rock Best Breakfast Lab 82 Best Coffee Cork Coffee Roasters Best Takeaway Decent Munch Are you ready, ready for the lights? The Best of Cork Awards 23 The Best of Cork Awards 23 You're the best Only on Cork's
3: 96 FM Did you see this strange ad it has been around my desk here for the last couple of days and if I don't do it it'll be gone out of out Mm -hmm. of time this ad that went up for a housekeeper um, hello it says we're looking for a maid to clean a house for a couple living together twice a week there's a high rate involved we can discuss things but we need the cleaner to wear high heels Excuse me? So, this was in Cork. This was in, was it Lanmire I think? An ad was seen. They wanted a cleaner twice a week for a couple living together. They would need to be doing just general standards. Cleaning. Um, bathroom, kitchen. Hoovering. That sort of thing. But the cleaner needed to wear why high heels? Well, anyone come across that ad? Did they get someone? I wonder. <sighs> Weird. Oh, 0818969696. 96, 96. Now, Ross, you've been living in Spain for 16 years. I'm going to throw this out to listeners and see what they think. You've been living over there for 16 years. You have a two year old and you're thinking of, of coming home. Why? Good morning.
5: Oh. Well, good morning. I'm not the one who's thinking about coming home. I'm the one who, who would not go home. Oh, you would not go home. Okay. okay. No, I would not. I much prefer living here than living in Ireland.
3: How long have you been there? I've been here 10 years. Okay. Okay. Now, there was a Reddit thread where all this discussion started, and I saw it, yes. thinking about moving home to Cork. And I was going to throw it out there. This guy's been there 16 years. What would put you off coming home?
5: Um, the biggest things would be the weather and the expense of living in Ireland.
3: Mm. Yeah. Let me read the, the, the post so that we can get it into context. So we're a family of yeah. three, two-year-old, thinking of moving to Cork. I was in Spain, came to Spain 16 years ago. Costs are going up here too, so may as well be at home and close to family. I know it's costs, savage costs for housing, etc., but if a big network of... Family sc- around are they are the schools full they need booking in advance? What's the story? there's loads of work at home opportunity to restart careers, or am I just being a bit homesick and will I get the shock of my life and regret it? surely there's some pluses to moving back home. I miss the crack too, and I don't actually mind the rain um so tell me your own story why
5: why you moved um I moved. I moved for love, to be honest. Okay. Um, I I met my wife in Ireland. She was working there. Um, and then when her job finished, she couldn't find anything else, so she wanted to, to go back to Spain, so I said we'd give it a try. Right. Uh, and I've been here since. I see. That was ten years ago. Right. And and you'd have no
3: interest in coming back?
5: No. Mm-hmm. Other than, other I, than I the weather. Before,
3: other than the weather, what are the advantages? Have you kids, for example?
5: I, I do. I have two kids. I have a three-year-old and a nine-month-old.
3: Okay. What's it like getting them cared for, getting them into school, that kind of stuff?
5: Um, it's not really a, a, a problem. You How it works here is wherever you live, you have schools in the area and uh, you have two zones, the zone that's closest to you. You'll get preference and then there's a a zone a little bit further away Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, where you can still apply to send your kids there, but you won't be top of the list. You'll be at the bottom of the list uh, for those. Uh, And I live in a city, there's plenty of schools around. Um, We were very lucky. We moved to this city uh, just a couple of months ago. Right, Um just in time to register our oldest for for starting school, and the school is literally behind our house. Brilliant, and and what are the away. costs? And we've just been discussing
3: the cost of, of early years here. What's the cost involved?
5: So my three year old there's no cost because she's going to uh, a public school. It will be the equivalent of junior infants. She's go, she's starting because she's three. The younger girl is going to go to what's called the guarderia here in Spain would be the equivalent of play school. Right. And she's going to a public one. There's public and there's private. Obviously, the private are more expensive. Mm-hmm. But the public one, oh, I can't remember the exact price. I, I think it's, it's about 120 a month.
3: Get away. You know that people are dropping the, the equivalent of another mortgage here, as
5: Oh, yeah, of course, of course. my How I met my wife is she was working as an au pair. Right. And that's the, pretty much the cheapest option for childcare in Ireland. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. So 120 for public, for a, what, uh, is she, what age is your youngest again?
5: Well, she's nine months. Nine so months. So she'll be, she'll be 10 or 11 months when she, when she starts. And I've in, just been talking to like a provider
3: months. here, John, um, and he said that the youngers, the smallies... They're the most expensive to provide for in the system. So crikey, Michael! Yeah. yeah. What about work and jobs and stuff? I mean, is the and and paid? We always have this thing, um, Ross, that oh, when you go on holiday to Spain and and your 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 dinner is a lot cheaper than it is at home. That's because the people are earning nothing. Is that true?
5: And um, you obviously pay is a lot lower here than it is in in Ireland. But literally everything is cheaper, too. Yeah. Like, is there a minimum wage, for example? There is a minimum wage. The minimum wage doesn't work per hour. It's your your monthly salary. I see. Uh, And the minimum... Uh, just it just went up in the last year I think it's 1150 a month is mm. is the minimum for full-time work
3: okay now that doesn't sound like a whole pile but how much tax then comes out of that
5: that would be
3: after tax oh after tax okay that would be after tax yeah okay okay so that's so, I mean, two- your,
5: your actual wage would be higher but that's the the minimum take home okay
3: and in rent then, like if if someone wants to rent, say a one a couple want to rent a one bedroom apartment in your city?
5: Um I don't know about a one bedroom apartment, but I'll tell you we have uh a two bedroom. Okay. Uh and it's it's a nice big place. It's in uh maybe five minutes from the center, five okay. or ten minutes walk from the center. Okay. Uh We have uh, two big bedrooms, nice big kitchen, a a balcony. And because we're on the first floor, we have a terrace too. So it's kind of an outdoor area inside the building. Sure. Um, uh, And that's 600 a month. (sighs) Wow. You wouldn't get a sniff of that for
3: less than 1,200 or 1,300. You wouldn't get a
5: bedroom for that in Ireland.
3: No, you wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. Do you come across, Russ? Do you come across Irish people thinking about coming back?
5: I, I, I come across Irish people occasionally. I work with a couple of Irish people. Um, one of them has been here for for twenty years, uh, I was actually—I thought I was talking to him yesterday—and uh, he said he's he's never thought about in all the time he's been here. He's never thought about about moving home. Mm.
3: There is also some Spanish people have moved. I mean, take your your wife when she came over first as an au pair. She she came to Ireland, I suppose, on spec for work. Are there a lot of people doing that?
5: Um, there's a, It's really common for Spanish people when when they're young to do things like go to Ireland or pairing. It, part of it is because it's difficult for young people to find work here, and part of it is that speaking English. Will get you ahead here in yeah. in in Spain. Yeah. Just about every job wants people who speak English, whether they actually need to win the job or not. Yes, it's seen as a as a big advantage. So a lot of them do it uh, as a way to learn English. Have you managed to to do this? Have you gotten fluent in
3: Spanish? Do you do you, do you speak Spanish at this stage?
5: Oh yeah, of course. I'm here ten years. I'm completely fluent. Oh
3: ah, yeah, ah yeah, yeah.
5: Oh, yeah, no problems. And uh, I speak a little bit of the local language as well, because I'm in Valencian communities. So right. There, there's a, a language, Valenciano, it's like a dialect of Catalan. Yeah, I've heard of uh, that. I speak a little bit of that. I've
3: of, well, I've heard of Catalan and the, the number of different dialects. If people are thinking of moving over, what advice would you give them?
5: If people are thinking about moving over, I'd advise them to do it. Hmm. Yeah, just. just... Um, for, for most people, like, it might not work out for you, but there's. Uh, it's not like there's complicated visa issues or anything. Yes, it's you're going legally, to you yes it's, it's absolutely no problem. Is there work? Um, Is the there best plenty work? I could give, um, like, if you speak English, you'll get a job automatically teaching English. Okay, right. There, there's lots of, like, private uh, schools. Uh, small private academies where parents send their kids after school, yes. um, and I've never had a problem getting getting work is, is that what you but do? I'm right? qualified to teach English. Right. That's what I do. Yeah. I see. I see. Excellent. Mm. I mean, the school I worked for is is uh, the biggest school in in the uh, Valencian community. So there's there's work all day. A lot of them, there's only work in the, in the afternoon. But then you have other options of what you could do in the morning. You yes, could be yes. a language assistant in a school where you do a few hours every day in a primary school. Um, or what I did for years is I worked online during the day yes, and sir. then uh, worked teaching English in schools in the afternoon
3: All right, Ross, you, you, I had you wrong at the start you were not thinking about coming home but to our correspondent or to the guy who put the Reddit post up who's thinking about coming home I think your advice is stay where you are the homesickness will pass
5: yeah uh, uh, like I said to him on, uh, on Reddit I think it's just nostalgia
3: Possibly is Ross. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. So there you go. This is we'll throw it open, right? Ross is living there, living there ten years, married, and moved. Uh, fluent in Spanish, teaches English. Nicely settled, two bedroom apartment. Two bedroom apartment. Six hundred a month. They're both working. Two bedroom apartment. Six hundred a month. Childcare, preschool for the older child is free. And uh, for the smalley. Now bear in mind what we've just been talking to, to John Bowman about. The smallies are the most expensive element in that childcare system. And their smallie will cost one hundred and twenty a month when she goes in. Ah, and in Castle Martyr I'm being told here one hundred and eighty a week for a one year old. Recently started Crash for a twelve month old thirteen hundred and fifty. ...per month... Jenny Mac... ...public... ...crash... ...stroke... ...preschool... ...stroke... ...smalley place... ...in Spain... ...120... ...a month... ...yeah... ...what should Ross do... ...Ross is the man who originally posted this... ...this on Reddit... Um, ...sorry... ...Ross is the guy responding... ...the original poster on Reddit... ...Reddit can be hard to understand... ...who made the original post... ...and who didn't... ...anyway... ...so... ...16 years in Spain... Two year old child, thinking about coming home, be close to family, knows the costs are high, I'm not too sure they know the full costs, housing is difficult, they have a big network of family, plenty of work, or are they just homesick, you have know, the shock of my life, and regret the move. What would you do? If you if, if you were in their position tomorrow, having listened to Ross, what would you do? I, I don't think I need to answer that question for myself. O eight one eight ninety six 96, 96. Bear that in mind, 120 quid a month for the Smalley versus 180 a week in Castle Martyr. That's a no-brainer if you ask me. Right, will Tubridy come back to RTE? I know. Do you actually care? A lot of people seem to care an awful lot about whether Tubrady will come back to RTE. Um... And there are talks underway. Mr Backhurst, the new Director General of RTE, is talking to Tuberty on a a very regular basis as to whether he should come back. Now, at the same time, we see where the money coming in from the licence fee has fallen off the end of a cliff. They lost another million last month in unpaid licence fees. So clearly people are really still angry at what happened in RTE earlier in the summer, or what was revealed earlier in the summer. Shirley Donovan's watching the situation. Shirley, do you think, you're, you're if you were a betting woman, would you be taking a fibre and putting it on him coming back? Morning.
6: Good morning, PJ. Yeah, I think it very much looks like Ryan will be back on air, probably um, early September, I would imagine. But mm. I think, as you just kind of touched on there, I think one of the biggest problems here is that while the total focus is on Ryan Tuberty, there's a complete lack of focus on what's going on in RTE. Yeah. You know, and I think that's probably a much bigger problem that Kevin Backhurst is going to have to deal with is, you know, this two-tier system that that they have in RTE where you have these massive contractors um, on huge amounts of money and then you have your regular staff who don't have the same they don't have the same, they don't have great pension, they don't have great holiday benefits. And I think Ryan Torbery has been in some ways, regardless of whether you feel he's a good or a bad broadcaster, you like him or you don't like him, he's been made the face of this scandal when, you know, there's a lot more going on here.
3: There's the thing, Kevin Backhurst, like you said, has a massive job of work on his hands. One would think he should sort out the the, 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 the people Sort out the other people, then deal with the Tuberdies of this world. With all due respect to Ryan Turbidity, it's not like he needs to work; he's got qu- he's got money. But the people who need, exactly. you know, like you've got people who, for example, when the milk runs out in the canteen, they either go to the shop and buy their own milk, or there ain't no milk. That's how tight it is in some parts.
6: And you know this this hole that's been created. Um, by the drop in licence revenue at the moment, I think they're looking at a 30% drop week on week, yeah. which is a massive amount. It's a massive loss. And now RTE have requested a €35 million Euro bailout from the government. And I think people have stopped paying their licence fee. It's it's going to be very hard to kind of gauge how they will feel if they see the government bailing out RTE after all of this.
3: Mm. Yeah. I mean, as I said before, it's, it's a bill the Queen B takes care of in our house, and and she had it paid uh, last time I came around, and I said if the bill dropped tomorrow, no, no,
6: no. I I mean it's it's a ma- it's a much bigger problem than than the likes of Ryan Topperty. I think as as you said, there you have people who are keeping keeping the place afloat. In Archie be behind the scenes, you have people you know from from producers, from editors, right down to you know canteen staff and reception staff, and so on and so forth. And then you have these big. Presenters being paid these massive amounts of money from you know a minimum probably of one hundred and fifty thousand a year right up to three and four hundred thousand, and would they be getting that kind of money if they were on a different on a different broadcaster if they were employed by a different broadcaster either in Ireland or the UK would they be paid that amount? Mm. And I think you have to ask yourself if the answer to that is no, then why are you doing it?
3: Well, broad- broadcasting at national level attracts a large salary. That that's. That's the simple fact. Wherever you are in the world, it, it attracts a, a large salary. But you'd wonder how big they are realistically. You
6: know. That's it in relation to, in you know, if 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 a top RT presenter was to try and get a job on the BBC or on ITV, would they be would they hold the same value?
3: Now, we don't know whether he has. Do you know or not, what I mean? Report reportedly, they haven't been banging down tubwardy's door to bring him to. The UK or anywhere else in Ireland, that's only what you're told. One one doesn't really know, except what one reads in the papers. Uh, I know that he went with his agent to London for a series of meetings last month. I don't know how any of that went. But you believe anyway he will come back in September.
6: I think he he will come back, and I think you know it's going to. Ha- he will have to address it. I I believe Patrick Heels, he will probably address it when he takes over the Late Late Show. I think it will have to be addressed across the board. But I do think he'll move on from this, and I think he will continue. I think if if the option for Ryan interpreter to have a career in the UK was ever on the table, it would, probably would have happened before now. Mm-hmm um so you'd wonder you know and, and also i think the way that tv and broadcasting is moving in the uk is very much towards an american model now yeah. where you've the likes of gb news and all that and i just don't know that there's a place for him there unless he would be going to the likes of the bbc uh,
3: do, do, do. do you there's a there's a fantasy do you think there's a possibility at all he could be Keelty's first guest
6: i've seen people talking about that on twitter i think I actually think it would be a great idea. I think it would be a massive, a monumental moment. I think it would be probably the best way of addressing it in the sense of you have almost like a handing of the baton, but also Patrick Keelty, bearing in mind, is a comedian and will handle this mm. with that approach. But with he's also with sharp as attack,
3: as well. He's sharp as attack, too, do you know?
6: Exactly, and I think it would be a great I think his first show is on the 15th of September I think it would actually be a great opener um, and I know that guests are going to be limited now, um, particularly guests in the entertainment industry by the by the strikes in Hollywood because they're not allowed to do any promotion so they're going to be quite limited with some of their guests if they're a member of the union so like, I do think that that is a possibility. I don't know that Ryan Trubbert would be all that into doing it if he's not back on the air yet. I think he'd rather nearly be back on the air first.
3: Right. If he was coming back on the following Monday, it would be a nice way to, 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 pave, to pave the way. It looks like the late late, Shirley Singh, as you're here with me now, we have a chat and It looks as if Kilty might be encouraged to, to lighten the late late or, or try to go for, for more celebs, more or stuff like that.
6: Yeah, I look, I think it's probably a format that while you want to keep the tradition of the Late Late Show, you want the format needs to be changed. It's become quite jaded over the years and I've noticed probably to do with COVID as well that guests were very limited and it just became a case of RT staff interviewing other yeah, RT staff. Yeah.
3: Noel Kelly, Noel um, Kelly clients interviewing other Noel Kelly, yes, Kelly clients over to Australia.
2: Exactly. Uh,
3: back in the day when, when Gabo, had the late late and admittedly he had a big market all to himself. Some of his greatest moments came from audience members that he just picked upon or were spotted by the producers. He got three or four minutes out of them and they became the head do you think that Kilty will interact with an audience in that way?
6: Yeah, I think he's definitely that type of a personality because as a, as a stand-up comedian you're used to working off the cuff, you're used to engaging with an audience um, in a stand-up show so I think that's where his strength will be as well is that he is very personable, he is very intelligent and can be very hard hitting but he also has that ability to interact and have a bit of spontaneous banter with the audience which I think will lighten it mm. and I also think it's a format where we should be moving more towards when you look at the likes of Graham Norton and the success that he's had with Mm. having an entire panel of guests on for the duration of the show, more or less, that works really well rather than one at a time. And, you know, everybody taking their turn. I think there's, there's a lot to be said for looking at it. And I'm sure it's probably one of the first things he did with the team that he's going to be working with to say, how can we respect the legacy yeah. of the show and also refresh it and, and hook people back in because it's an audience maybe that is leaving yes. the station yes. potentially they're not bringing in the new viewers and that's where he's had this he has this opportunity to do that is bring people back to it.
3: There's a the thing I, I saw it in the newspapers over the weekend when the date was announced for Keelty's um, opening show and, and I opened it because I kind of need to know but I'm wondering do, I,
6: do people
3: care Shirley, do they actually care about the late, late?
6: I think we care about it because it's such... It's ingrained in us. It's almost in the DNA of an Irish person to have an interest and throw an eye to the Late Late Show. And I think it's probably one of the last few television shows with the way that we consume TV now. Everything is on demand. Everything is binge watching. You know, you can have anything at any time. It's probably one of the few scheduled programming items outside of news that people will flick the TV at 25 past nine on a Friday night. Will you see on, on the 15th? I think I will and I, I would be someone who dips in and out at the late late and sometimes I watch it back on the player or whatever but I will watch it because I think it's, it's going to be an interesting way to go and it'll be interesting to see where he takes it on the night Yeah Okay
3: In terms of other television and we talk to you frequently about it um, My missus is going on at me the last few days about is it Prescription on Netflix which is kind of Netflix's answer to Dope Sick Now to me Dope Sick was a masterpiece and probably one of Michael Keaton's finest hours. Have you seen Prescription?
6: Painkiller, I think is it called Painkiller? Painkiller, beg your pardon yes. Um, no, I it's actually it's on my watch list, but I I like you, I've seen Dope Sick and I thought it was an excellent um an excellent piece of work. But I do think this is, there's a little bit of controversy about um, Painkiller because of the timing of it. Dope Sick was highly successful, very well received, you know, great critical acclaim across the board. And Painkiller seems to be, it is telling more or less the exact same story of Purdue Pharma and the opioid crisis in America. Um, So it's kind of, it's it's like Netflix's version of this. And I don't think it's being received quite as well, but I am curious to see it. But it's, we're in this here now of um, all of these type of documentaries and docu-films about the opioid crisis but I just think it's a li- the timing is a little bit wrong with this it's yeah. hot off the heels of something that was highly successful It's, it's a slightly
3: different angle according to what the missus is telling me that Dope Sick focused very much on, on the victims and, and how they became addicted so quickly and their, and their lives including the doctor played by Michael Keaton were destroyed by the whole thing This, she said seems to focus more on the cover-up and how the cover-up was managed
6: yeah, so I think this is coming from more the, the Sackler side of things yeah. where we would have seen the human aspect and the human effect. But this is, go- this is a different telling of it. But essentially, I think... It is the same story and it yeah. is it it, it will be very hard to tell that story from that side of it and have an audience empathise with, with the characters in it when we've already seen the human aspect of it. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's it's something that's very topical at the moment in the US. So it's it's not surprising that there's another, that Netflix have come out with the take on this, you know.
3: Right. I have to have to watch it over the next few days. Listen, Shirley, thank you very much. We look forward, I do, I look forward. Thank you, Shirley, gentlemen. look forward to um, Patrick Keelty Taking over at the Late Late Show. If out of curiosity, nothing else. And there's the idea. Should it be if Tubbs is to come back, if he's to come back on, it would be Monday, it would be Monday the 18th, wouldn't it, that? If it would be Monday the 18th of September that he was to come back, then perhaps he should be on the Late Late Show on Friday the 15th. What would you think? John says it should be scrapped. Its time was up years ago. I won't be watching it. Haven't done for years. Its time is over. It had a good format back in the day for the times that were there, but it just seems to be bouncing around now from format to format. It doesn't resonate anymore. Do I think Keelty will rescue it? No, because it's a show that doesn't know what it's there for now. I won't be watching even the first edition. Too much disappointment from past hype. I do like the toy show, though. There's a thing. Will there be a toy show? Will Paddy Keelty do a toy show? Margaret, what's the point of a television license? All that's on RTE are repeats. Christmas is a joke. Same movies every year. It should be a choice, like Netflix, if you want to pay monthly. Well, I did hear that one way they might fund RTE as a national broadcaster would be to put a levy on Netflix. Now, I don't know how you get away with doing that. But there's the thing. Now, Friday, what date? How many days to the start of the Late Late Show? It's about, I I need to do this. I need to do this. Give me a, I can actually actually do this quite quickly now. It is 31 days to the new Late Late Show with uh, Paddy Keelty. Will you watch? 0818 96 96 96. And another couple of questions tied onto the back of that. Will you, have you, are you considering paying Your television license. Are you going to pay your television license the next time it lands on the mat? You might have paid it for this year. Will you pay it next time? Have you paid it? Do you intend to pay it? And here's the thing. If you're divided between whether you're going to pay it or not pay it, and I'm not endorsing either course of action, how much does it depend on Ryan Tuberty? In other words, if Ryan Tuberty comes back to his radio show would that influence your decision with regards to paying your television license?
2: Join the conversation.
3: This is the Opinion Live.
2: With Hidden Hearing. Focus solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Fox 96 FM. The minds are live. Oh, hello. Join the conversation Call
1: 0818 96 96,
2: 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96, 96
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Box 96
3: FM Yeah, there's a thing just carrying on from the last hour 31 days to the first Late Late Show with Patrick Keelty At the helm, 15th of September, 25 past nine. Where will you be that night? Will you be clapped in front of the telly? Will you be down the pub, not caring? Where will you be? Will you record it and watch it the next day? Will you watch it back? Will you not bother your backside watching it at all? Uh, Gay Bourne used to do things like get an entire cork audience. Typical RTE now, they never do anything like that these days. It's all centred on the same old, same old, same old People and issues all the time. They should just end it. That would be my hope when Patrick Keelty takes takes the helm. He is very funny. He's whip smart. He's as sharp as attack. He will be funny. He will be funny off the cuff. Um, like in terms of questioning guests and particularly celebrity guests and, and entertaining guests. He, he would be very, very funny that way. If you want to look him up on YouTube, look at his comedy performances. He's a really funny guy. And he's also highly intelligent, extremely bright. So I think he'll be fun. I really do. I, I, look, I look forward to at least watching him a couple of times. I wonder what it'll be like if he does a toy show. But uh, your thoughts welcome on that. Richard is back with regard to DopeSick. Just listening to that topic. Wasn't it the pharmacist the first one to open up the topic? Love the program. Yeah, DopeSick is worth a watch back. It's still there on Disney Plus. It's it's a masterpiece of, of television about how people just got hopelessly addicted to Oxy. Within days, literally within days. And they were crushing it and sniffing it and snorting it and breaking it up and powdering it and putting it into their teeth, into their gums. It was They were so desperate to get it into their system. And, and the Sacklers and, and Purdue Pharma who were making this stuff knew, they knew from very early on. And then when people got addicted to the point where it was no longer... Doing, doing anything for their pain they invented a thing called breakthrough pain and upped the flipping dosage it was a horrible thing to do to people it was the Germans who picked up on it um, that there was something odd about this Dope Sick worth a watch and I, I think uh, Painkiller also well worth a watch Mick won't be paying the television licence I won't watch Keelty's first show I think the whole RTE pay scandal is a disgrace time to disband it. You you might say that, make it unlikely to happen, but a lot of people think like that. For everyone not paying the TV tax. Now, this is an interesting one. So the television license is what? It's 160 something a year. You get the radio stations, you get the television stations, but you also put money into RTE's coffers so that they can bid for things like sports rights. Kevin O'Sullivan says for everyone not willing to pay the television license or television tax as Kevin calls it, don't complain then when your sports TV rights aren't bought. Don't moan about your county's games not being shown. Don't moan about Cork City's match not being on. The television license is a lot more than Tubbs, Miriam or Joe Duffy. Champions League TV rights don't come cheap and we're lucky to have so much stuff Free to air. That's practically gone in the UK. Yeah, there's Champions League. Free to air in the UK. I don't think you can get it. I don't think you can. If you want everything behind paywalls, it'll cost an awful lot more than 14 quid a month, which is what the licence fee actually works out. That's a take. That's a take, Kevin, and thank you. And it's a take that I've read a lot of newspaper space about. You know, you get stuff from RTE a lot more than Tubbs' salary, or Joe Duffy's salary, or Miriam's salary, or Clare Bourne's salary. Any of that. You get a lot more from, from them than that. And the next time that you're complaining about such and such a match being on GAA Go, well, maybe it's got something. Hey, they listen. It's a take. Now, 25 years ago, today, uh, the most awful atrocity in... Northern Ireland happened. It was the OMA bomb. We'll talk more about it this hour. We'll catch up with Peter McVerry from our wireless group station in the north, U105. He's there for today's commemorations. That's, that's coming. And if you can remember where you were, what you were doing the day you heard about the OMA bomb, it was an awful thing. I'll never forget it. I was here. I was here working in this, in this here building. But the stories dominated some headlines over the last few days now. And it's an interesting one. Three young trainee guards were sent home from Temple Moor after just a couple of days. Why? Because they had tattoos. Now they've been told, look, if you get rid of those tattoos, you can come back. Visible tattoos. The Garda rules, the Garda code stresses that there were no prominent tattoos allowed. It's changing across Europe. Uh, the Met Police in London has a similar policy to the guards, but that's under review as well. But tattoos on the hand, tattoos below the elbow, because the guard, the uniform now is short sleeved t shirts, which, by the way, I like the new guard, the uniform, I have to say. So, visible tattoos on the arms, not allowed. Visible tattoos on the face or neck, not allowed under the Garda code. So these three recruits were sent home and told, clear them off, get rid of them, and you can come back. Now, one of them has spoken. He's 32-year-old, father of one, uh, from Munster. We all know from Munster. He's now said, well, sod that with the guards. He's applying for other jobs. And he feels he was treated unfairly. He said, no one ever raised... The tattoo, he has a tattoo on his hand no one ever raised the tattoo with him during the many interviews and pr- procedures that he had to go through before he got into Templemore it was only when it went to, he went to Templemore it became a problem, he feels he was badly treated he'd left a long term job as a store manager uh, to become a guard and was excited and motivated entering Templemore this is from the Irish Independent he knew there'd be challenges in the path to being a guard, but this is the last thing I thought would happen. He said during, at no point in the process, the tattoo of a lion, which is visible on his hand, was never pointed out to him, even though he met senior guards, obviously he did, right along the way. The The information booklet says, body art on the face or visible among the, above the collar is not permitted. Any other tattoos would be covered at all times while on duty, whether in uniform or in plain clothes. He believed he'd be complying with that if, for example, he wore a glove on his hand or whatever. Look, it's an ongoing story. I don't know how you feel. So many people around us, so many more people around these days have tattoos than used to have them before. So you kind of wonder, is it time for the guards to change? But then again, how, do you, how would you feel about seeing a guard with a tattoo on their arms? Like, in the, the, the new uniform, short sleeves, so tattoos. Would, would, would a tattoo on a guard's arm put you off? Would it not bother you at all? Dolores Murray uh, is from the Association of Body Modification Artists in Ireland. She runs Wildcat Inc. Tattoo Studios, Dublin. Dolores, were you surprised when you saw this happening? Good morning.
7: Good morning, good morning. I was, um, and I I actually thought that was a funny comment you made there where you said, um, how would the public feel if they saw the guards going around in short sleeves showing the tattoos? Do you mean like a normal person?
3: It's just a question, Dolores.
7: Um, (laughs) I'm being facetious here. Uh, um, Lucas, I find it absolutely incredible uh, that this situation has happened. Um, The guards really need to reassess their dress code in, in the light of the, of the new and changing cultural norms.
3: Yeah. There was, I, I'm probably of a of a slightly older generation where only rough people had tattoos. <laughs> You know,
7: well, I think that I think that that's changed considerably. Uh, very much so. Very did much look, so. Did you look at the ladies now in, in in the final there on Sunday? How many of those had tattoos? Indeed, indeed, porfers, it's porfers, it's porfers. commonplace
3: now. Indeed. And you know, I yes. like tattoos. Yes. Actually, I have to say.
7: Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it can be I don't have any, but yeah. I like them. Oh, <laughs> well, we could we could change that now <laughs> <day, honestly.
3: laughs>
7: But I mean, we I, I suppose the statistics are all there. Thoughts that thirty five percent of the population have tattoos. And in the in the age group uh, that they're probably looking to recruit the guards, the under forties, that probably rises to just over fifty percent. So by by enforcing this rule, they're um, eliminating fifty percent of the the eligible population from from the um, from the um, catchment of, of mm. guards. And in and in a time when they're actually trying to recruit guards, it just seems like a ludicrous situation. Yeah.
8: Whether well,
3: in
7: in answer I mean, to my
3: own rhetorical question, on which you picked me up. I couldn't care less.
7: Exactly. By the way. I couldn't. Could, I actually couldn't a, care I'm less. I'm a member of. I'm a member of a, of um, a traders uh, group, WhatsApp group for the Grafton Street area. And you would not believe the crimes, the antisocial behaviour, and the theft that's going on in the stores in Grafton Street mm. on a daily basis. Only yesterday, a guy with a box walked into a well-known store in Grafton Street, put ten handbags in his in the box, told the staff to f off threatened them and walked out they didn't even bother phoning the guards because on the previous two occasions which had happened in the last uh, previous weeks the guards hadn't shown up and why are the guards not showing up because there aren't enough guards Yeah. and now we have this situation where these three young people you know ready willing and able have been refused because of tattoos I'm well, sure the girls in that shop were, you know they were scared out of their wits would they have heard if the guard had a tattoo on his face as long as the guard came
3: yeah yeah. this guy who's so, spoken to the Independent—I don't know who he is—but he says he felt unfairly treated because it wasn't picked up at any point along the way, and he gave up a good job to go into the Guards. He feels me, deflated and disappointed.
7: Uh, well, maybe, maybe he should be—he should be going to the um, WRO to see what they what they can do about it, because it it, it does seem ridiculous that he went through the recruitment uh, process, which I believe is up to eighteen months. 20, quite long, yeah. It's quite arduous.
3: Before you even set foot in in before, before you've been there, tested, tested, and
7: tested. And I assume he's been interviewed and he's been looked at, and his tattoos have been there and, and possibly even commented on. It. I don't know if that's if that's in the public vision, but um, and then at the last minute, as as you say, he's given up his job, and now all of a sudden these three are hauled in front of of the authorities and and kicked out mm. because uh, because of tattoos.
8: They've
3: um, been told get rid of them and you can come back places will be held open.
7: Yeah, but in fairness now, you know,
3: mm.
7: uh, the tattoos have become really, really popular um, since the, pandem- the pandemic. I suppose people are seeing them as a kind of a self-expression, rite of passage, whatever you want. But I mean, this, this is people's bodies. bodies mm. They're entitled to do what they want with their own bodies. I, I
3: prefer the term, by the way, you'll be details. happy to hear this, Dolores. I, I prefer the term body art because some of what I have seen
7: He's oh, art of a it high is.
3: quality.
7: Yeah, yeah. It is. Um, but, um, I mean, they're, they're hoping to attract a diverse range of, of, of people to to guards who can identify with the people, the public that they're dealing with. Yeah. So, and they're eliminating over 50%. Have you come
3: applicants. across other jobs where a tattoo can be a problem?
7: Years ago. Years ago, I have. You know, banking used to be one of them, teaching. Um but now, I mean, you go down to your child's local school and the teachers have tattoos and piercings uh, uh, the, in the bank. They have them in your supermarket, anywhere you go. Mm. It would be a, more unusual not to see tattoos in the people that you're interacting with on a daily basis.
3: Mm. Something that I I don't know if they've stopped it. There was a stupid thing these two years ago, or if you happen to have a little piercing in your eyebrow or something, they'd make, you, pick, make you put tape on it. I mean, like, you could... <laughs> You could actually do yeah. harm taking that tape off. Has that gone? Yeah, is yeah. that gone? I hope
7: it's gone. Uh, well, it is, but i tell you where they, where they would still have things like that, in in like the likes of catering, where, where the ball may fall off into the food, so yeah, a okay. health and safety issue. But I don't think uh, a tattoo behind the ear or on the hand or whatever in a guard is a health and safety issue. Mm.
3: The other thing, too, is the nature of some tattoos. Like, some tattoos would carry a hidden meaning, and... Might be misinterpreted.
7: Well, I mean, there's religious tattoos, I suppose, and and traditional tattoos. Mm. Misinterpreted by by whom? By by the members of the public. Yes, yes. I suppose that's a possibility, but I mean, you know, we can't eliminate everything. True.
3: So you'd have, you, you obviously you wouldn't have, and I personally, just as, as I said, to to redress my question, it could not bother me if the guard knew what they were doing and, and gave me a good service. I couldn't care less if they had ten rings on their fingers. I couldn't care less. I really couldn't. You know, yeah, I, I, I kind of have the, to put both sides point. of the argument to, um, yeah, yeah. to you. to I mean, the,
7: the RIA, or the the, RIA, the the GRA have issued a warning that it's a crisis in the recruitment and retention in guards. Yeah. And i think thinking, what's it? Thirty percent of the guards who are selected during the recruitment uh, process don't actually show up for the training. So yeah. they, you know, they're well behind their targets in in getting their. This is one thousand recruits they are looking for this year. Yes. So if one third of those selected are not showing up, that means they're getting six hundred and forty six hundred and fifty. Yes. And then these three three poor unfortunates. And, well, sir, and you could again.
3: also have people listening or having followed this story over the last few days who might have been looking at the guards as a career and might have made fantastic guards, but because they have a little tattoo on the hand doing I saw that. Yeah, well...
7: This is it, exactly. And I mean, as you're saying, they're saying they remove your tattoos, but, you know, how many people are, are going to do those? First of all, it's it's not guaranteed. Um, it's not a guaranteed process because it can leave you with a terrible mess. A lot of people get tattoos removed in order to put new tattoos down because maybe they've made a mistake or maybe, you know, they put the old girlfriend's name down or whatever. Yeah. Not, not ever to be recommended, by the way, but... Um, it's expensive. It's much more painful actually getting the tattoo removed than it is getting the tattoo in the first place. And you know, why should they have to do it? Yeah. At the end of the day. Fair point. Why should they have to do it? Fair
3: point. Alright, good speaking with you. Um, Dolores Murray from the Association of Body Modification Artists in Ireland uh, runs Wildcat Ink Tattoo Studios in Dublin. Your thoughts, particularly welcome on this one. So, your stop. well, you call the guards your handbag is stolen or your shop is broken into or, or you just need help and you call a guard and the guard arrives and has a tattoo on their arm or their hand does it bother you? because it certainly doesn't bother me if they're good at their job PJ if the guard they had tattoos they might blend in better in undercover work but I understand that when they're in undercover work they actually can and often do get tattooed so I have been told. Hello twenty twenty three, this is nineteen fifty five calling. Can we have the result of your poll, please? Garden management is a joke. I want a guard who reflects his age group, and that's a good point. That's a good point. I want a guard who reflects his age group. John says it's the right idea to send trainees home over tattoos. The new uniforms also far too casual. They represent the government and us. Where is the line? If we lower standards, where will it stop? Well, as I said, John, I couldn't care less about tattoos. And I like, I said straight out, I like the new uniform. It looks comfortable. It doesn't look, I don't think it looks too casual. It looks comfortable. And I, I, for, for too many years, I remember my dad got dressed up. His gar—the uniform looks a lot different now than my dad used to have to wear. But it was the most uncomfortable Stiff, sweaty, awful thing, awful thing. And the, even in the summertime, the big thick trousers should be roasted on a summer's day, and long sleeve shirts. Like so, I haven't worn. I won't don't wear long sleeve shirts from April to October. Why should a guard have to? And I like the new polo shirt type look. I actually think that in the summertime when it gets warm, the guards should be allowed to wear combat shorts or something like that. I, I do. But I'm more casual than that. And I don't care if a guard has a tattoo. I actually don't. Marie, while there might not be appropriate tattoos for a guard to have, like a tattoo of a gun, if I was in trouble and needed help, it wouldn't bother me in the slightest if a guard had a tattoo. It's 2023, not 1983. Sandra, before if you had a tattoo you were known as a scumbag or a hard man. What you have now is art and people are proud to show it off. PJ, there are several guards I've seen, younger ones in particular, who have slightly visible tattoos already. Their managers seem to be turning a blind eye. Maybe they got it after ta- after recruitment. Yeah, maybe they did. Maybe they did get it after recruitment. And several Cork tattooists were reluctant to come on so we're thankful to Dolores, many of them sharing her view but a little reluctant uh, to take a call on a somewhat controversial issue and we'd love to hear from any local tattoo people though, and thanks again to Dolores who represents their their national body so your thoughts, three guard, three young recruits, one has decided we'll sod that now, I'm going back into my old line of work and I'm
1: Planning for your next trip?
2: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: Transform your home in one weekend with paint from the arts. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boy's DuraClean interior paint and primer in one offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy-opening, smooth-pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy Paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at
3: Menards. Going back looking for another job. To hell with you. If you won't have me with me tattoo, then you haven't, you're haven't. you not getting me at all. That's one of the three recruits. The others have been told they can come back if they get them removed. And in, in the US, a lot of police forces now allow tattoos. Uh, the UK will probably relax its, its rules as well. And there are always case-by-case case exceptions. Well, it's just an interesting talking point We'll pursue it with you 0818969696.
2: Join the conversation
3: This is the Opinion line
2: With Hidden Hearing focused solely on your hearing health For over 35 years They're all ears Visit hiddenhearing.ie Fox 96 FM
3: I remember the 15th of August 1998 very well It was a Saturday It was a beautiful day beautiful summer's day, and I had agreed to cover a shift in the newsroom that afternoon because there was a colleague on holidays, and as I was driving in, I was regretting that decision because it was a gorgeous day, and I would much prefer to have done something else. But you make a commitment, you make a commitment. I came in, and within about 20 minutes of my landing in the newsroom, all hell had broken loose in Oma, literally all hell had broken loose broken loose in in Oma. We weren't long after the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. This was the most awful thing to happen. On a sunny summer Saturday afternoon, during what was a festival in a very beautiful place. I've been to see Oma um, over the last couple of years. Gorgeous town, beautiful town. And here's just a reminder of the coverage of the day. This is taken from the BBC... 9 o'clock, was it 6 o'clock? BBC 6 o'clock news of that particular day.
9: The bomb ripped out the heart of a town packed with shoppers and with people enjoying Omar's annual Carnival Day. A warning of some 40 minutes was given that the bomb had been placed at the courthouse at one end of the main street. Police moved in to clear the area. People here say they were shepherded to the other end of the street, and that is where the bomb went off. Much of the main street was destroyed. The crowds took the full impact of the blast. In one moment, a bright Saturday afternoon became carnage and mayhem. The scores of injured, many horribly mutilated, overwhelmed the local hospital.
7: We have dozens and dozens and dozens of casualties. In fact, uh, some are very seriously and very critically injured. And really, I think we're talking up in up in a hundred. You know, between the ran- ranging from very very critically to
9: to minor. Police commandeered a bus to take the less seriously wounded for treatment. Many of those who did not die in the blast died on their way to hospital or in the operating theatre. Such are the injuries, the number of dead seems likely to rise. By far the worst single atrocity in the long and bloody modern history of Northern Ireland. Chris West, BBC News, over.
3: 25 years ago, this very day. Some of the most hardened journalists in Northern Ireland. Those seen it all that day. I remember Anne Cadwallader, who was our Northern correspondent at the time. and was almost in tears filing her reports. The great Eamon Malley was so moved. I know there's Joe Oliver, wonderful Joe Oliver. They, they, they could barely take into it Their heads, what it happened. Peter McVerry is a station director with U105, part of the wireless group of stations. Peter, you're in Oma today. Do you remember that day? Good morning.
10: I I, I do. Good morning to you, PJ. I'm a bit of a, um, I was a cub reporter, if you like, back then. I was hitting 24, maybe 25, and I was working in the Belfast Telegraph like you um we we heard about what had happened and um given the way we had print deadlines i went down on the sunday and then ended up staying there for for the guts of a week covering the aftermath and the impact and you'll remember as well that because of the 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 um impetus that there was we had we had royalty we had prime ministers with the Taoiseach. um shortly afterwards we had bill clinton as well all coming to ship so, oh in the aftermath of because as you say it revulsed people so much, it was the single biggest atrocity uh, in the Troubles, and it came you know, four short months after we'd agreed the Good Friday Agreement, three short months um, uh, after the referendum, and the people had voted in majority to, mm-hmm. to push forward with the power sharing government, and everybody hoped that those bad days were behind us. and there's a, there's a certain irony then, PJ, in the fact that the, the worst single atrocity to get in the troubles comes months after we all thought the troubles were hoped they were over.
3: Because it was carried out by a group who didn't agree with
10: the Good Friday Agreement, who didn't agree with the ceasefire, the real IRA. Yes, it was. And and, and sadly, the, the families, you know, spent 23 years uh, campaigning for, for justice and for an inquiry. It was only in February of this year the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Chris Heaton-Harris, announced that they would get their inquiry. What's called a statutory inquiry, um, a retired Scottish judge, um, the Right Honourable Lord Hutton, has been appointed to head that up. If people have heard of him before, any of your listeners, he was involved as one of the prosecutors on the Pan Am um, flight that that exploded um, over Lockerbie. He is currently working on his terms of reference. He was with the families in Oma as recently as last week talking about those terms of reference but you know nobody has ever been criminally convicted pj of um of what happened in oma in that day there were some civil convictions through a court where the where the the level and the threshold you need to get to is lower there was a a, a conviction in relation to oma but not for planting the bomb for example and you know those families have never had any justice And, and even within the family some people you know, there's a 25th anniversary event that happened on Sunday, and it was down for the Memorial Gardens. Whenever there were prayers said and a moment of reflection led by the Interchurches Forum in town, there's this more private event this afternoon when they will lay wreaths and say some prayers in memory of all of those. But even the families themselves are unsure of how to market. You know, they did a 20th anniversary and then they stopped. They've now decided to do a 25th anniversary. Some people just want to, you know, in the nicest possible way, forget about yeah. it. Other people are determined to go right to the end and they want to see people serve time. And given where we're at with the span of time and the fact that we're a generation on, you know, many of those who, who were involved but not convicted, have now passed away. Others may well pass away between now and the time that there can be an an investigation um, Mm. after any statutory inquiry and any prosecution. So, you know, it's becoming increasingly likely that the families in Oma may never see justice. And that's without wherever the British government go with the legacy bill.
3: And that's the horrific truth that is so hard to accept. Like 29 people, including a mother pregnant with twins, lost their lives. Scores were injured. Many of them carry the injuries... And the, the effect of the injuries to this day. But I listened to an interview at the weekend, Peter, with with a woman who survived um and she was able to walk away from it. And she has a she said survivor's guilt is destroying her life. Yes. Um, she
10: walked and, away. Uh, a number of people are in OMA who've received help from services such as the Wave Trauma Centre in Belfast, who who deal with PTSD. You know, you're talking about the emotion of the day you know the, the emotion was there at the time and I felt it as a 25 year old and down there I'm a 50 year old and I spent half of my life has been pre good Friday agreement and half of my life has been post Friday agreement yes. but I'm not afraid to say that as a hardened journalist I stood there on Sunday and listened to the names of each of those who were killed in the bomb and were read out on Sunday as part of that service on the ages. and it is 29 people who were killed but one of the victims um, was the mother of unborn twins and those twins were given names um, and those were read out um, on um, on I mean, Sunday. And just list, just listening list to that moment and thinking, you know, the, the, of those two children that never even got to be born and yeah. were taken away by what happened on that, as you say, sunny Saturday afternoon at the end of a festival week in a small market town yeah. in Northern Ireland. And again, the reality being that, um, you know, I, I, and, and sad as it is, you know, um, very many of the victims would not have been the victims apart from the, the confusion about the yeah, warnings. That's right. Uh, when actually the the court the courthouse was the reported target, of the thought target, and one of the calls had indicated that. So the RUC at the time believed they were doing the right thing, moving people away from the courthouse and down Market Street. And yet they were moving more and more people towards the locus of the explosion. Mm-hmm. A 500 pound bomb in the back of a red Vauxhall Cavalier. You know, and it's know, it's were,
3: one of the questions not, that gets asked, and for me, I don't think it's ever been properly answered. Was the warning deliberately wrong?
10: And that's one of the things that they would hope to establish as part of this inquiry, because there was you know, the, those that. The warning that sent were, them did, towards the bomb. It did, and, and the, the car had been hijacked um in, in County Monaghan. small so one number of days beforehand, and the plates changed. Those that were responsible, you know, only spent about 40 minutes at home. They, 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 they set that bomb in about 20 past half past two on a Saturday afternoon and then put the call in about 20 minutes later. It exploded at, at at ten past three, there is some confusion about what exactly were said in the calls. There were a couple of calls made. One was made to UTV. One was made to the Samaritans in cold rain. There was a recording of one of those. You know, those two messages were slightly contradictory. There was a lot of traffic as well in terms of of. Um, Oman, the town centre in the afternoon there was a bit of confusion about what exactly was the right thing to yeah. to do. So, you know, the real IRA, it dealt them a body blow. They came out afterwards and, and apologized and said they that it was never their intention to 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 um to take the lives of, of so many civilians. You'll know that those who believed, you know, during the troubles that there were planting bombs, always thought that there would be what they called civilian casualties or casualties of war. But the the real IRA said it was never their intention. Their tactic at the time was to target what they saw as symbols of uh, British oppression and of the mm-hmm. empire, things like the police service and all, and, and things like the the courthouse. But there's a the reality is, you know, it, it, regardless of who you were targeting, who you thought you were targeting that day, how any individual human being. Can drive a bomb on the back of a car into a market town on a Saturday afternoon in the sunshine and walk away knowing that there are going to be casualties, never mind fatalities, from that. You know, it's inexcusable whether it's whether it's one person hurt or 29 people killed.
3: I visited it, um, Peter. Um, it's in your bailiwick up there, but I was on holidays in 2020 and 2021 in the north, and I made it my business to visit uh, Oma. And the day I was there, it was in July, but it was a gorgeous summer sunny day, and I just drove
10: through that beautiful little town, and I could feel the tears coming. Absolutely. And, 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 and it is sad in the history of Northern Ireland. People talk about places like like, like Goma, they talk about places like Tiban. They, yeah. um, like they talk about places like Greysteel, they talk about places like Loughan Island, and those places would never have made the news but for the fact that they were the scene of atrocities during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And that's not what any place wants to be known for. And as you you know, Oma's got so much more to it than that. Beautiful place. You speak to people around the world and mention the word Oma, and the first thing they think of is that bomb and those horrific images. 25 years ago
3: today. Peter, thank you. Peter McVeary station director of our wireless colleagues U105 and there's a ceremony today a quiet ceremony to remember what happened in OMA on what was a gorgeous summer's afternoon 25 years ago today Peter, thank you
2: Join the conversation This is the Opinion Live With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie Coach 96FM Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Quark's 96FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c 96FM.ie.
3: The new guy... I don't agree with this. Some people do. I don't. I thought when it came out first that it might look a bit silly. But the more I see young gar- particularly young guards, wearing it, the more I think, you know, I like that. I do. It's modern and it's, it's comfortable looking. The new guy uniform, looks like a child's Halloween costume from Deals. It does not. It does not. PJ, in relation to tattoos, I work with the HSE. I have tattoos, as do a lot of my colleagues. If we look at the army, the majority of them have tattoos. If we were like other countries and the army are on the streets, is it okay for them to have tattoos in Ireland and not the guards? Doesn't make sense. One rule for one and another for Ireland. Welcome to Ireland. Well, ain't that the story with a lot of things? Welcome to Ireland. It's the one that's got you going this morning, though. Guards with tattoos We have three young recruits Sent back from Templemore uh, Come back If you get rid of the tattoos, come back And uh, you can go back to your class One guy has already said, sob that For a game of soldiers, or guards uh, I'm not doing that, i come back to work Back to another job um, And, you know The guards lost his gain. and all that But, your thoughts On Gardie with tattoos Should they be allowed, now Guards with tattoos, there probably are guards out there with tattoos who got them after recruitment and got them after probation and got them after being stationed. That's a different thing. I'm not too sure uh, if there's a ban on that. They're not supposed to be visible. But your thoughts? And with the new uniform being short-sleeved, they're more visible and more likely to be visible. Guards with tattoos, I couldn't care less. Truth- truthfully, I couldn't care less if a guard has a tattoo. I'd like to know what you hear or what you think. O eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Oh Annette on Oma. She says Morning. I remember watching the live coverage of the Omah bombing. I was sitting in a bar in Air Square in Galway, chatting to the legend Dolores Kane. Oh wow. We like everyone else were simply shocked. We stayed watching it, hearing the body count going up and up. It was such an incredible tragedy. It certainly was, and and twenty five years ago, it was kind of one of those. Do you know there was people talked older people talk, about having a JFK moment um, that you can remember. Older people can remember exactly where they were and what they were doing when they heard that John F. Kennedy had been shot dead. Elvis was another one. Our Elvis, I can remember exactly where I was when I heard heard that Elvis had died. Tomorrow, actually, tomorrow is Elvis's. Anniversary, that was August 16th, 1977, I think. Yeah, tomorrow. And then I can remember where I was when two, uh, 9-11 happened. I was on holidays at that stage. And like that now in the story, remember being here working when Oma happened. And it was kind of like for, for younger people in the north, for example, like there for, for Peter, who we were talking to, he's 50 now. He remembers everything to do with that day. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I was just saying yesterday some of the books I read on holidays and I was going to go through a list for you and I read, I read 12 books on holidays and if you're packing books for the weekend, if you're heading off on holidays this weekend, there's a few I'd recommend. First of all, I would recommend my favourite writer in the world ever, Harlan Coben. I will find you his new book. A super book called The End of Us, um, which is marvellous. Um, There's this loads more. Catherine Kerwin's book, um, Malice. I get the list. You know, I'm get, I'll get the list and I'll read them to you tomorrow because I got some really really good. Got through some really, really good ones. And I noticed this morning, have you discovered, I'm talking to the readers out here now, the avid readers among us, and there are many of them. Have you discovered Tess Winnett? Not the writer, the character. The writer is Le- Leslie Wolf. Have you discovered Tess Winnett yet? If you haven't, and you like FBI stuff, and you like uh, procedural serial killer profiling criminal minds type stuff, you need to discover uh, Tess Winnett. Look up Leslie Wolf; you'll find the books. Oh eight one eight ninety six. 96, 96. Now, is it Avelyn or Avelyn? I can't decide which. Good morning.
11: <laughs> Good morning, PJ. It's Avelyn.
3: Avelyn, Okay. You have a lovely Aveline, yeah. story. What happened to you in Cove?
11: Yes, I do. Um, I have tri- uh, triplet little boys, PJ. They're um, identical, 14 years of age. Uh, the three of them are severely autistic oh. um, and nonverbal. We've spoken we before. Are, uh, we have. Ah, <laughs> so
3: now I, have. <laughs> I know who I have.
11: <laughs> yes, okay. you do. Yeah, so as I said, there are 13 I imagine. The last time I spoke to you, I think there were probably about maybe nine. So they're big teenage boys, you no know, big hairy men, basically, they're going into. Um, and as I said, the three of them are severely autistic. And obviously, it, it's quite obvious that they have extra needs. Mm. But wow. I'm actually from Cove. So we had decided, you know, that the weather was fairly okay on Sunday, that we would bring the boys down down into Cove just to enjoy the regatta that was taking place in Cove over the weekend. Mm. And we had we actually had a couple of nice experiences downtown now, I have to say, but there was one in particular that stood out. Um and I actually posted on Facebook because this incident just blew me away. We had um been walking around the town and there's a lovely little coffee shop there just in in the middle of the town just by Kennedy Pier and we decided okay we're going to stop off the adults are going to have coffee and we'll give the boys you know we bring their own food and snacks and drinks etc so we sat the three of them down and there was like an army around them I had um, some care assistants around me as well you know in helping sport boys because
3: there's a bit of work Mind involved in having business. them out isn't there you there
11: oh Oh dear. We sort of run it like um okay. Hello?
3: I hi, what I was saying to you there was before before the, the, the line decided to play up on us was there's a bit of work involved in going out for the afternoon.
11: Oh, you have no idea, PJ. Um and we have to plan all our, our outings with military precision. Um and the boys basically they need one-to-one assistance at all times particularly in Cove, you know, with all the open um, keys, etc. So I did have an army around me, you know, supporting the boys. So we were sitting, minding our own business, being as quiet and um, inconspicuous as we possibly could with three autistic children. Um And, you know, the boys were very good and very well behaved, but like obviously they were stimming and they were making their vocal sounds and what have you. So I had just noticed that there was a lovely couple sitting next to us. They just looked and smiled and what have you. We didn't really engage until such time as they were getting up to leave. So the man in question stood up and I i actually didn't, I kind of didn't get what he was doing. It was um, a care assistant that was supporting Alex, spotted him putting something on the table. But the boys had little containers with their food in it and he slipped whatever he had under the container. And he said, go, I want to buy you your lunch, Aye. is what he said to one of the care assistants. And I kind of just came into it at the end of the conversation where she was sort of protesting with him and saying, oh, no, there's no need for that and what have you. So he just walked away. Like, he didn't want any recognition. There was no big deal about it until such time as she handed me the 50 or not, note. And I actually nearly died. A, I thought, how kind of the stranger to actually do something like this. And also I thought, you know, in this current climate, 50 euros is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I just... I got up off my chair and I followed the gentleman in question and I just tapped him on the shoulder and I introduced myself. I said, look, I said, I'm the boy's mom. I said, what you did back there, there was absolutely no need for it. It's too much. And he just said, listen, you have three beautiful sons. He said, go and treat them to something. Wow. And just turned and walked away. And I sat back down at the table and I had shed a little tear Mm. because I just thought, you know, there is a lot of. I suppose, PG, you know yourself. There's a lot of negative and negativity around autism, and there's a stigma around, attached around autism. Mm. And this man just did that random act of kindness towards my children, and he just really touched my on my heartstrings. I have to say,
3: he gave a damn.
11: Absolutely. Yeah, And a lot of people don't get it, but obviously, you know, he saw the boys and like they, they are. I'm a little bit biased, but I think my sons are handsome and they were all <laughs> dressed identically. And, mm. you know, Rian and um, Kyle had on their ear defenders. So, you know, it's it's quite obvious that they had the extra needs, but they, oh my God, it was, they yeah. were just amazing. And I also just have to point out as well, one other thing, um, PJ, that I found very kind as well. After that experience, we strolled over to the promenade. And as you know, there's a bandstand in the promenade and there was lots of stalls and etc. around there. And of course, there's little uh, merry-go-rounds over there also. And yeah. sure, of course, the boys spotted the merry-go-rounds, wanted to go on them. It's whatever nominal fee that they charge for the children to have their spin on this um, little merry-go-round. I was rummaging in my bag to get out the money to pay for the boys to go on. And the lady over there in question said, Don't you even think ah, stop. about paying? Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Like the amount of kindness shown to my boys over the weekend down in cove was just mind blowing. That would restore And it your just state. you know it does. I was just going to say, it would. You know, when you're having just, it's obviously being um, a single parent to the, to the three boys is very daunting and very. You know, you'd have some days and you just you're down and you're whatever. And that those little acts of kindness just restored my faith in the human race.
3: Yeah, that's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. How
11: are yeah. they doing? Yeah, they are challenging. PJ, you know, as I said, no, they're they're thirteen. They're teenagers. We've had. Um, new diagnosis, only very recent this year actually in fact uh, Alex and Rian have been diagnosed with epilepsy oh, and I have been told uh, like to keep an eye, an eye on too. Alex okay. yeah it's like, like apparently children with um, autism are predisposed to epilepsy and common. I suppose you know the hormonal changes now that are going on in their, bod- in their bodies, yeah, common, they, yeah. They, they did yeah say it would have been me. around
3: but man, you know when, when it happened James would have been around the same when it, age
11: Yeah, they they say, you know, that the hormonal changes in their body going through puberty, that it's like...
3: Oh, that line is not playing up. Well, look, time-wise, anyway, I I had to finish up with Evelyn fairly soon, but I wish herself and the boys well. And and to the people who did that for them in Cove on Saturday, to the man whoever you are, who put 50 quid on the table and said, I want to pay for your lunch, and to the people... Who wouldn't take money from Avril down at the at the roundabout? You have no idea how much that means to a parent struggling in a situation like that, and uh, on her behalf, and on my behalf, on behalf of every parent living with a disability in the house, living with autism and the effects of autism. Thank you. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live.
2: With Hidden Hearing. Focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Fox96FM. <laughs> the lines are live. Oh, hello. Join the
1: conversation Call 0818 96, 96,
2: 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 3969696 Email opinion at 96fm.ie This
1: is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Hawks 96
3: FM Certainly on one of our topics of conversation going on this morning uh, the, the vast majority of people contacting us on all the different platforms Seem to think it's time the rules were changed. So what if a guard or a guard the recruit has a tattoo? So what? Jen since, since tends to be the, the view among most of our listeners this morning. Uh, how does a tattoo, this is from Simi, how does a tattoo affect individuals' performance trains a gather? HSE staff have tattoos. It shouldn't be visible, though. Years ago, it was flight attendants couldn't have tattoos. God's sake we're in the 21st century people have the right and they have their choice. Ireland needs to be a bit more liberal. Thank you 0818969696 96 96. now at the top of the program I mentioned that I was driving home last night around 10 o'clock past the city hall and I had somebody with me in the car so I couldn't just stop and get out to investigate but there was a crowd outside City hall. They had a banner unfurled. I didn't know whether it was a protest or a celebration. Uh, I couldn't find out what it was. I was texting Fergal late last night. He hadn't. He had heard that it was there, but with no idea what it was. And even this morning, uh, there was no notion of what it might have been. I think we can answer the question, though. There were Pakistani dignitaries at City Hall yesterday. Now Chaudhry, it was a Pakistani occasion a Pakistani celebration good morning to you. Good morning to you as well. What happened? What was it? What what, what was happening uh, yesterday? Yesterday we have a 76th Independence day of Pakistan. So we are gathering to the city council. I see. All. I see. How many, what is the Pakistani population in Cork? How many of your countrymen are here?
9: It's almost almost uh,
3: Twenty-five thousand. Really? Yeah. Okay. And that was your Independence Day celebration on the steps of the City Hall? Yes, please. Were you there yourself? Sorry? Were you there yourself? Yeah. Okay. There is many Pakistanis there, and we have a celebration for our only Independence Day of Pakistan. 76th. Very, Very good. Is that why there was I also had reports of a lot of cheering and car horns being beeped in the city centre was it all part of it? No No, no only, only in the city hall Good And are there more celebrations planned? A
2: little bit, you know
3: Yeah We're, we're very we, we love our celebrations in Ireland as you know um, Thanks sir. We love yeah. our St. Patrick's Day so that's kind of your that's kind of yours um, Yeah Good Thanks for clearing up what that was How what, What's your own story Chaudhry? How long are you here? I am here up to uh, since 2008. 2008. Okay. Yeah. And, and, okay. I live in Cork, and okay. I will be there as well. Okay. And do you have family here? Yes. Marvelous. All right. And is is Ireland good? Is Cork going to be home now? Is that you are going to stay? here? Yes, Cork is my home. Good. Good. Well, we're delighted to have you, and thank you. Thanks. thanks we were, very much. We didn't know what that was in City Hall last night, but thank you for clarifying that, Shaudri. It was the part of the seventy sixth. Anniversary of the Independence Day of Pakistan, and they were celebrating in the City Hall of their adopted city. Uh, quite a large number of Pakistani people in and around Cork, and that's what they were doing. If you passed that last night, wondering what was going on, as I did. Uh, thank you for that, Shadri, who contacted the show to explain it to us. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now travel. You know I like to travel. You know, I like my holidays and my breaks, and I, I. Not only am I just back from one holiday, but I'm already planning where I'll go next year. I don't have to think where I'm going to go next year. I'm going to the same place again. But you know yourself. But people are changing their habits now. Uh, some people don't like the heavy-duty heat that came over Italy and Greece and parts of Spain in the last couple of months, and they're looking at maybe cooler. Uh, destinations and the European Travel Commission did some research and found that Mediterranean holidays have dropped in popularity by about 10% and perhaps that's down to heat and other such things. I know we stopped going to Mallorca. We went to Mallorca five or six times and loved it over there. Alcudia was a particular favourite but we loved it. But what stopped us going there was one factor at least was the weather and the awful humidity that can drop at the back end of July into August. That was certainly a change over the last number of years. Joan Scales joins me. She's a travel writer and broadcaster. Joan, do you think people's habits will change as the weather changes, as it undoubtedly has and undoubtedly will continue to do? Good morning.
12: Good, good morning, PJ, and thanks very much for having me on. I think certainly what we've seen in certainly this year is definitely making people think a bit more because the uh, heat waves in, you know, Southern Europe, you know, from basically from Portugal to Turkey was 40 plus. Yeah. So I think, yes, particularly if you have children. You know, I, I I do remember the first time I took my children was to Alcudia as well. And I remember 41 degrees in August and I remember hopping, hopping around the water park trying to stay cool. So I think those kind of things are making people think more about the heat, particularly if you're older and you're small, younger. You you do have to be much more careful in that kind of heat and humidity. As we know, children dehydrate very rapidly Mm. when it's very hot. Mm. So, yes, there's signs coming out. Now, you mentioned the European Travel Commission report. They're seeing a fall off in Mediterranean holidays in inquiries this year. But also one of the biggest holiday ma- holiday companies are Chewy. Yeah, they'd be one of, they'd be probably the biggest one here in our the big German company as well. You know, they they do a huge amount of um, travel. They're tour operators, so mm. they they move millions of people around every year. And they're now starting to say they're going to look at other things because the same thing. Their chairman or their CEO was talking last week about they're looking at um, maybe flattening flattening the holiday season. So people might be taking their holidays in Greece in November mm. and also looking at places in, um, say, like the uh, the Polish coast, which is very nice up mm-hmm. there on the Baltic Sea, you have the Polish coast, uh, which is beautiful by all accounts. I haven't visited in the summer myself, but uh, and the Belgian coast as well. And then also the Germans, funny enough, in the holiday home market this year, there was a big shift in Germans looking for Scandi holidays, Scandi summers. So mm. looking to rent holiday homes in like southern Norway. Wow. But of course, no, southern Norway got hit by floods as well. I know.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I happen so, to be, uh, I, I have had the incredible privilege of swimming in Lake Geneva in August and oh, you can still go into the lake. Nice. They have pools built, but you can actually still go into the lake. The little beaches there, and it was remarkably nice. I mean, it that might be a couple of degrees cooler than than say south of Spain that would
12: be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, oh, it, well, it certainly would. Considering the south of Spain was what went up to about forty six degrees.
3: Yeah, yeah.
12: You know, yeah. it's 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 very hot. But now I will say to you I think maybe, Pete, but this is something I've done recently. The end of July, I was in Asturias in northern Spain. Yeah. And must admit, I've done the whole of, I've done almost all the provinces in northern Spain except Navarre in the last two years. Mm. So I was in Asturias, which is right up on. It's on the Atl- it's on the uh, the Bay of Biscay. It's on the Atlantic coast, and um, mm. it was a very pleasant. Twenty two to twenty four degrees. Mm. We stayed in Gihon, which is a coastal city, which was very nice. There was a beautiful beach in town. And it, the beach must have been oh, nearly about uh, a mile and a half long. It yeah. was a gorgeous, lovely sandy beach. That was really nice. And spent a bit spent like San days Sebastian, it's not unlike San Sebastian. It's that kind of feel. Yeah. I mean, last year I was in uh, Galicia and we went to see Los Catiz beaches, which are fabulous beaches with, with these big sea arches mm. uh, eroded, you know, the big arches eroded by the sea. Yeah. But the nice thing about it was it was very comfortable for us Irish.
3: Yes. It yes. really was. Yes. You, was you can there, rely on the weather, know, but you weren't being scorched out of it either. You see,
12: you weren't being scorched. Now, it is green Spain and it's not green Spain for nothing. So basically, it's not unlike Ireland when you're flying in to Asturias and Ryanair started a new flight there this year. When you're flying in, you'd be reminded of Ireland because it's hills and fields and hedgerows and mm. pine forests and, you know, quite similar. But on a, a vaster mm. scale, <laughs> it's much, yeah. much bigger
11: yeah
12: as you can imagine and uh, and it was quite industrial now i will say that uh, Gijón was very industrial outside of the city mm. and we took the train between Gijón and oviedo oh, and lovely. that w- that was that's mining country an engineering country in spain so while it's very green and you have your hills and your beaches it is industrial once you're outside the main mm. cities. Sounds
3: like a lovely train uh, ride though, really, you know, fabulous things to see <laughs> and look at.
12: <laughs> I did mm. enjoyed the train ride, to be honest, because I know in the funny kind of, this might sound a bit funny, we don't have industrial centres on that scale in Ireland. Mm. So for me, seeing these massive big factories and mining operations was a curiosity. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you, yeah, what, what do you go on, One of the things I love to go on holiday for, Joan, is to see things. Yeah, I'm not one of these people that sits around a pool for two weeks. I, it, my, my, it's my definition of hell on earth. I love to get out and see things and walk. Oh yeah, and well, get I'm, a bus I'm, and... that's me. Yeah,
12: I walked and walked and walked. My poor friend who went with me on the holidays was in shock when she walked twenty thousand steps the first day in Girona. Oh, yeah,
3: <laughs> I think our, I think our best ever. We, she we did,
10: believe did <laughs> we, we did one.
3: I'm just back from 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 Lanzarote, and we 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 walked from where we were staying back to where we used to stay. When the kids were small. And we stopped and we had a drink and a bit of lunch. And I said to the missus, we get a taxi back. She says, no, we won't. We're walking. Good walk. 28,000 right. flipping steps. Me feet oh, were
12: down to the me knees. Oh, there now! Oh my God! But <laughs> well, we was great. did the same. We did. We but we, we stopped in a little bar. Actually, this oh, was this was lovely. Gobble. We stopped in little. We well, We stopped in one little bar in particular, and we had. We ended up having two glasses of wine each, but each time we ordered a drink, he brought us over a little plate of paella, oh, then yeah. some tapas, then some tortilla, yeah. and in the end, the bill was. You won't believe this. My friend thought there go was on, a mistake. She thought on. he was given a separate bill. It was 5 euro 60. I
3: know. I know. That's the depression. That's the depressing. She, she said
12: there must be. I said no, that's for the two of us. <laughs> now. So a glass of wine it was like a euro yeah, or less. Great. It was unbelievable.
3: Now, in these places where it gets very very hot, how many of the natives are minded to come to our sort of slightly cooler, wetter climate in the summertime?
12: Well, if you're in Dublin, I don't know what it's like in Cork now. I've been down, have me been down to Cork for a while, but Dublin is a melange. It's multicultural. It's full of students. I was downtown last Saturday and I'm not joking. I must have seen at least 40 groups of students. So certainly the students are back in force. There's tons of Americans. There's walking tour groups everywhere. You're tripping over them everywhere. Mm. And so, yes, people are coming here. And well, I keep saying this, so but we really need to do something better on pricing on yeah. the cost here. Because if we are going to attract more people, and we do have reasons to attract them, because huge amount of money was spent on new tourism products, products yeah. over the last few years. I mean, you have things like um, Avondale, Beyond the Trees in Avondale, that's incredible. Say yes, not tell anybody. Yeah. Go and see it. You can even go up it in a buggy, yeah. with the buggy and the baby. And if you're in a wheelchair, you can do it. We have the pirate adventure down in Westport, which the um, which is at Westport House. Enormous amount of money put into that. The fabulous boardwalk at Yall. Yeah. These are all new things. These are all things that happened during COVID, which is brilliant because uh, things didn't stop and even the Guinness Storehouse, they doubled the size of the Gravity Bar during COVID as well. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of things for people to do and the one the one thing we do win out on over everywhere else is we don't charge for national museums. So national museums and national galleries we don't charge for. Mm. And at the moment, some of the OPW sites aren't charging. Like the Hill of Tara. I was there last week. There's no charge for the tour there. It should normally be a fiver. Yeah. Um. You know, so the prices are quite low if they are going to charge. The, the, attractions, like the, the
3: attractions themselves are, are quite reasonable. That's true. But going, yeah, staying, eating out, having a bite to eat. It's expensive, Joan, it, but,
12: Well, is Well, I have, I have to admit, my hobby horse at the moment is the fact that the government brought in the unit alcohol price mm-hmm. and they didn't take the difference in tax. The price unit that increased, the increase goes to the vendors and suppliers. It's not going to, as tax, if it was being used for the health service, I'd say great. But no, they put up all the price of alcohol everywhere and as you see, it keeps going up. Whereas, you know, like you can go to Spain or Portugal or Italy, you have your glass of wine for a couple of euros or your beer for a couple of euros. Here you're looking if you get if you get any change out of a tenner, you're lucky.
3: you won't. If you get a point you know, in a glass so, of yeah, wine is twelve well, you, quid now.
12: You mm. will not. Well look at five star hotel in Spain there a couple of weeks ago. I had a mojito in beautiful Barcelona hotel. Mm. Six Euros. Yeah. I mean I'd be lucky to get it for twelve here. Yeah. You know, so I really we, think particularly alcohol, I think food can be good value. If, mm. you, if you look around, you can find good value in food. We don't have that tapas culture, that small plate culture of other European cities, but you, we do have very good quality food. So I don't think people mind so much the food because you can find value in food mm-hmm, around
4: mm-hmm. Ireland. But it's
3: but having a drink with it alcohol and, and trying to feed the children.
12: Shocking. And all those soft drinks. I mean, they're all very expensive as well. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you don't get much change out of uh, out of 30 quid no. if you're just having two adults and two kids, having a drink and a, a mineral.
3: So so we have a, but, f- an, a fabulous uh, product to offer. and We, we do. Don't, and it's it, getting better. It is. It's
12: getting better. But it's an expensive one.
3: And would you be concerned, as someone who travels a lot for work, as a travel writer, you know, taking everything into account are we a little bit too expensive for a person to come for a family holiday?
12: If you're American, you can afford it because the That's dollar mean. is very, very strong. You know, and we've huge amount of Americans coming. I mean, uh, there's droves of them and they're absolutely delighted because they think it's great value. And it is, because America's quite expensive anyway. Yes. Uh, but overall, I think... We have to be more careful on pricing, to be honest. We have to be more careful, and of course, we're very stuck this year because of accommodation. I mean, I talked about y'all about the beautiful boardwalk and y'all, but mm. I don't think they get a room in y'all. No, because they're all taken over for uh, housing. You know, uh, immigrants and migrants, and that's right. And, you know, people two of the displaced. biggest hotels, are gone you know, there. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really sad. So and you not Killarney's do badly is affected. By, by Killarney's Killarney's
3: badly, Killarney's
12: badly, yeah. badly affected, but. Killarney 40 has a lot of hotels, Mm. but yes, it is affected. So I think it's going to be another couple of years to be because, so because those hotels have been taken out of the system, everywhere else is charging more because as we know, supply and demand will push up prices and it is, there's no doubt about that. Um, So it's going to be another year or two. Now we do have a lot more hotels coming on stream in the next over the next year or two, certainly in Dublin, I see a lot of openings starting to happen. I see some hotels coming back into back into service for travellers as well. Say like the three hundred room uh, travel lodge, that was um, that never opened last year when it was meant to. It went straight into supporting um, the Ukrainian refugees, yeah. but that's open now as a hotel. So three hundred rooms makes a difference in Massive Dublin. Difference. Massive
3: difference. All but right.
12: overall, if if things in the next few years, hopefully when we've enough accommodation and we can um re-look at the price of alcohol. I think that's an important thing to look at. Yeah. And the taxation of it. Well, actually speaking of, we alcohol, would be more competitive.
3: speaking of alcohol. Speaking of alcohol, come back to you on that just lastly. this this yeah. you looked into this um First of all, sales of alcohol in the Balearic Islands, they've they've, they've cut back on this all day freebie in the all inclusive resort and drinking in the streets in Barcelona can carry a heavy fine now.
12: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big culture change in the Balearics and that's been happening. This, this recent thing about the alcohol is is something that started not just on alcohol. They're changing their perception and they want a nicer type of a clientele, if you, if you spare me saying that. Yeah. But they do. They're trying to get away from that culture where you see people going to the all-inclusive resorts and drinking all day long. So now they're only allowed to have three drinks at lunch, three drinks with dinner. And if they want any more, they can buy it but the shops aren't allowed to sell drink after half nine at night.
3: That's a on new morning. one now.
12: That is a new one because they used to sell drink 24 hours a day. Mm. So now they're not. Now it's in the main resorts. It's not in It's not in the whole of the Balearics. It's only in El Arenal and San Antonio in Ibiza and Magaluf and Mallorca. Mm. It's not all the way across all the resorts, but it's in the, the most popular resorts. Yeah. And so it's, it's just to cut down on that that drinking culture. Yeah. And they've also increased police presence.
3: And, 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 on them, and, and them boys don't mess around?
12: No, they don't mess around. They don't. No, definitely not. So no party boat advertising. None of that as well. And then the, the other thing they've done in the Balearics, which I think is extraordinary. They've brought in a moratorium on hotel development for four years, starting really? last year, the middle of last year. No hotels to be built and no rooms Uh, no additional rooms and not only that, no holiday rentals. So, they basically, they don't want to be swamped anymore.
3: No holiday rentals so you can't rent out your own place in a residential block. Wow.
12: Well, if if it's an existing place but a new place, no development of new holiday rentals at all. And this is all part of their refocusing of how they brand themselves as a more upmarket destination and get a different type of customer. I mean, the big thing they've done over the last 20 years, I've seen it because I'd be uh, down to be york a lot. They put in a lot of cycleways and mm. uh, uh, pedestrianised routes. You can nearly go all the way around the island on cycle tracks. Yeah. And they've attracted a big, Groups of um, cyclists. among all, all the big international cyclists all head to Mallorca now Cycling because it, it has yeah. terrific terrain. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. You're, for practicing, you're, you're a big fan of. Um, you're a big fan of Palma. I love Palma.
12: I love Palma. I love Palma. But you know what? This year and last year, being been priced out of Palma. Really? The hotel price it got so expensive. I mean, the hotel I would normally stay in is double the price it was before wow. COVID. And so I, I stayed in Campastia the last couple of times I was there. Now Campastia is about it's about fifteen twenty minutes on the bus, mm. but I stayed in some nice hotels, the Gala hotels, and uh, they rent your bikes for seven euros a day. And actually, I discovered it's really nice cycling into Palma all along the coast because you're off road right. lovely cycle track you're going through lovely little towns and villages all that's along right, the
3: right. way yeah, that's right yeah. it's, it's a beautiful at, beautiful part of the world beautiful beautiful part. I, of I love Palma
12: half, yeah, half the price of um, of staying in Palma I mean mm. literally the hotel price has doubled wow, what wow. I had been paying uh, come, so, out, come out of your resort though
3: and lastly come out of your resort Get a, and get a bus. Yes. I, I amaze mean, the number of people who go on holidays and don't look into the, the local bus. Get a
12: bus. The local buses. I love the get local bus. buses. And they're always very cheap. And you'd never know and what you find. Them. You would never know what you find. Two you euros I, to go from one side the island to another.
3: I found one day, I know in Lanzarote many years ago, the kids were small, there are parks and there are, you know, animal parks. I have a memory that my children will treasure. They were only about nine years of age. A goat and a rooster fighting over a tomato. Oh. In a farm. But
12: they've never seen
3: that. And they've never seen it since. A goat and a rooster fighting over a tomato. And it cost us four euro to get in and six quid to get there on the bus.
12: Oh. (laughs) You can't beat it. Well, well, well my tip for that is, is the 28 tram in Lisbon. You can take the tourist tram that will take you all over Lisbon, but yeah. the number 28 tram will do exactly the same journey. And you'll see all the sites and you can hang out the side of the tram and see everything for about two euros.
3: No, yeah. Know, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. The local bus is much cheaper. Joan, thank you very much. Joan Scales, a travel writer and a broadcaster. The holidays and how we take them is changing. But let's look at that a little bit and maybe if it was later in the week I might do it again now but have you do you do that this thing about going on holidays and sitting by the pool for two weeks would just drive me oh lord no I'd lose my mind but have you ever found anything when you're on holidays that was completely off the beaten track like that little farm we found years ago in in Lanzarote it was closed I think it probably one time had been an open farm but it was closed and the guy was just running it himself in his retirement and there's a rooster and a goat fighting over the tomato, and I will never forget it until the day I die and we just found it because we went exploring you know Colin sent us this receipt El pimpi I don't know where this is where is this uh, it's in Spain somewhere um, two plates of tapas Four small beers, which is Canya, uh, And one glass of Muscatel wine It's in Malaga In, in Antonio Banderas' restaurant Oh, I see So this is the place that could be wicked expensive So they had lunch, they had tapas And they had wine, and they had beer In Malaga last week In Antonio Banderas' restaurant How much? 19 quid Yep yeah. Yeah. You can, you see. You can. 0818969696. 96 96. But have you ever found anywhere completely mad? Completely, wow, look at this. Never found a place like this before. Um, do you get on it? When you go on, get on the bus. Get on a bus. And not the tourist bus, not the expensive tourist bus where everyone's on a commission. They're good in their own way, they're great for a guided tour. But get the local bus. There's a brilliant app actually, which I would advise you to download. It's called Move It M W O V I T. and anywhere you are, it'll find the local bus for you, and you can look it up and tell you when the local bus is coming and and how they're so flipping cheap, like. So what's the, have you ever found anything completely crazy, completely mad, completely off the beaten track? Like, we've all been to Santa Panza, Alcudia, Puerto del Carmen, we've I've been to Mojaca, we've been to all over. But you go to the resort, you can either stay in the resort for two weeks and go home, you'll have loved it, but you'll have seen nothing. So do you go and explore. And there's a thing, I mentioned San Sebastian to Joan. San Sebastian is the most gorgeous city over there for a match, Ah, uh, it is a long time ago now. I was there for a rugby match, uh, a, a monster match actually, and it was, I think, we we're there in April, and people were just starting to venture in the water, in the, and the beaches in the city centre. And you walk up off the beach, and you're in a massive square, and all down the little small tiny streets, little honky top pubs and tapas bars, just brilliant altogether. There's a Moorish castle in Tarifa. On the Costa de Luche, that's in Portugal, I think. Great beach is there as well. Thank you. 0818 96, 96,
2: 96 Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM.
1: Here's some of the winners from the Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards.
2: Best of Cork Awards. The best of all. Best gym
1: Dennehy's Health and Fitness
2: Best restaurant Son of
1: a Bun Best hotel The Montanati Hotel Best burger Dacent Munch Best pizza Oak Fire Pizza Best business Instagram Madra Makeovers Are you ready, ready? The best of Cork Awards 23. The best of Cork Awards 23. You're the best. Only on Cork's 96 FM.
3: The Moorish Castle in Costa de la Luche, That's in Andalusia. I was confusing it with the de la Luz place in Portugal, but that's that's me. I'm confused. Easy, confused Tarifa. Thanks, Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we do this? Um, oh, yes. In Bishopstown Library this afternoon at half two, Liam Murphy will give a presentation called A Stroll Down Patrick Street in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. It'll explain all the shops that used to be in Cork, and you can see the origins of a lot of the places you'll visit today and what old signs are still visible on the street. And on Thursday, the City Library. There's a presentation, Street Games. Liam's also given that. Have to get to know your city. If you're into photography, if you know the origin of the building you're taking pictures of, it really, really does help. Yeah, oh, Patrick Street in the 50s and 60s, the, I wasn't there. But for the pictures of it, there was just so much to happen on Patrick Street. It's very sad to see the way it is now. 0818 96 96 96. Richard Ford uh, 25 years ago you started doing uh, Taekwondo
8: morning hi PJ how are you
3: very good very good you started nearly 25 years ago
8: yeah that's right so I started actually in the man primary school mm-hmm. and it was in 1999 so almost coming up 25 years now and yeah it's been a long journey and um, So I originally started because my parents thought it would be good to get a bit of confidence and a bit bit of resilience, really, when you're younger. It's very important when you're younger. You were a bit of an anxious uh, kid, were you? Yeah, so I would have been quite chatty and friendly as a kid, but then I would have been kind of slow to defend myself and kind of stand up for myself. Obviously, our side of the city, that's kind of important, so... My parents thought that that was an important thing for me to be able to get into. You know what I mean? Mm.
3: Yeah, and they put you into a, a, a Taekwondo class. What did that change for you, though? Like, it's it's not it's more than just self defense, isn't it?
8: Yeah, there's a lot more to it. You know, it just gives you that confidence as well, um, and even just that that little bit of contact that you have. Now, very very limited early on with beginners and children, whatever, but. It's uh, it does give you that confidence in yourself as well to be able to handle situations a bit better. Mm. And obviously that was one of the big factors of that. But just being able to go through different things as well, whether it's like going through the ranks, through the belts, competitions, mm. being able to deal with nerves and things like that as well, it just gives you that little bit of confidence when you're able to pull through it, you know what I mean? And you stuck with it. Yeah, so I started, as I said, when I was young, maybe six or seven, and still going to this day, and it's come full circle, really, to be honest, because now it's the other way around, where I actually have my own club teaching the younger kids. So it's funny how it works.
3: What what grade do you have now?
8: I'm a fifth and black belt. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's heavy duty. Uh, the- yeah, so it's uh, it, it whatever you are as well. So like if you're a first degree, secretary, whatever you are, you actually have to wait that many years to test for your next one. So it's uh, certainly a long journey, right? so i thought. You I had a cousin, I had a cousin got to third You're going to have to five. I
3: had
10: a
8: cousin got to
3: third Impressive, day. very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the highest you can get to? What's the highest in Ireland?
8: Uh, we have a grandmaster in Ireland, which is a ninth degree, <sighs> which is uh, quite exceptional, yeah. Wow. Taekwondo, in particular, is actually quite strong in Ireland. Yes, it's it is. one the, of the stronger martial arts that we have, you know.
3: Yes, it's an Olympic sport now as well, isn't it?
8: Yeah, see, there's two styles as well of Taekwondo. So like uh, what they call WT, World Taekwondo, is actually in the Olympics. We actually had an Olympian from Ireland in the last Olympics. He's from Dublin. Mm. But there's two styles and uh, the ITF style, which is kind of more similar to kickboxing, really, that's the kind of style that is more prevalent in Ireland at the minute. Mm.
3: There's a huge interest in in martial arts in general Richard among among uh, young people there's a, and I was privileged a few years ago to to give out some medals at the Cork Martial Arts Awards uh, which are given out annually um it, there's a huge interest in it in all the various disciplines in Cork isn't there
8: Yeah it's absolutely massive particularly in taekwondo I think we have the most clubs in Cork throughout the whole country um, so it is very big and it's like whatever style there is, it's actually massive. You know what I mean? Everybody knows of someone who is done a bit of training or does a bit of martial arts or whatever, you know what I mean? So it is very, very big in Clark in particular. Um
3: it's, 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 a, it's a it's a lifestyle rather than just a form of defence, isn't it? It's it's a whole it's a whole mental mindset too. Yeah,
8: that's it as well, you know, and, and that's that kind of encompasses it from the beginning because all these traits like being respectful, having discipline, all these things are fantastic. You know what I mean? To be able to instill them as a young person is really, really good because they're going to thank you no matter what you do in life. And you have all these experiences as well that like whether you're going to competitions or whatever and like you can take a lot of confidence from that as well just being able to get through these things. And like all confidence is really, when you think about it, it's just like, a little bit of evidence that you're able to get the job done. Mm. And we all kind of, we have natural versions of that. Like some people are naturally more confident than others or whatever. But it's fantastic as well to be able to give, especially those younger kids who are a little bit quieter or whatever, just a little bit of an outlet that kind of builds them up naturally and have you know a positive environment for them to be able to thrive as well. It's very important, especially this mm-hmm. den edge.
3: There's, there's a saying I heard one time, uh, Richard, confidence comes from knowing you can.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it is. You just kind of have to step by step be able to just kind of break down the barriers. And we see it all the time. Mm. Time and time again, there's kids come into to me in the club and you see they're stuck to their parents. They won't leave them. And then bit by bit, they just kind of get that little bit of confidence in themselves, step by step, mm. eventually getting onto the mats, doing a bit of training, eventually making a buddy. Then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks later, you see them, they're absolutely flying it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it happens so often now that like when parents come in, they say, oh, geez, my kid here, he's very shy, I don't think he'll take to it. But, like, that's literally like, most of the kids that we see, so it's very, very common.
3: So, for, for, and there's a lot of it now, parents, you know, look reaching out, my child is anxious or my child is nervous. What age do you start them? What age would you bring them to their first club or their first meeting?
8: Like, so we actually start kids in East One up from Junior Infant, So you can get involved really young, you know what I mean? And I think it's fantastic for them as well because just as they're starting that kind of school age, there's a good link there as well because they're starting to understand like, you know, how they should behave, how to deal with other people and things like that. So there's a good link there as well. And then being able to just have that confidence and even just like um, the social connections you make when you're younger as well, very important. I think a lot of kids missed out on that as well during during COVID and things, you know what I mean? So being able to have that outlet as well is very, very important.
3: All right, East Cork Taekwondo. People can find you, uh, Richard Ford, fifth dan. From from being a small, frightened little boy to being a fifth dan black belt <laughs> and teaching yourself that, and and your belief is, I think, Richard, if I can do it, anyone can.
8: Absolutely, yeah, that's it, and that's the the whole the ethos of martial arts. You know what I mean? Anybody can get involved. Anybody can do it, and it will definitely stand here.
3: All right, goodbye. Thank you, Richard Ford of East Cork Taekwondo. If you have a slightly nervous youngster and going to school, they'll be going to school now in a couple of weeks, kids will be getting nervous. Take them down, put them into a class. Apart from that, Nels, the cuteness overload of a six year old or a five year old in that little white suit. I mean, all the awes like, oh, wait. I beg your pardon. I was wondering who. Yeah. Liam Murphy, slightly lost in translation. My fault. Nobody else's. I was referring, of course, I should have been referring to Liam O'Higgins. The great Liam O'Higgins. He's the one doing the talk on the stroll down Patrick Street. And he's the one doing the talk on street games in the city library. Uh, problem on the phone line. So I got a an unclear message but well, I should have known but thank you thanks for that I didn't get around to going to see because it was away it was Lord of the Dance at the Opera House I believe it went down a storm uh, an absolute storm And hopefully it'll come back And give me an opportunity to, to see it again um, It's moved on now And I think they're in Glasgow For a run of shows Gillian Monaghan is from Kildare She's a professional dancer with Lord of the Dance So it, it's Glasgow now Gillian, morning
9: um, Good
13: morning, how are you? <laughs>
3: great, great how, how did um, How did Cork go?
13: It was absolutely amazing. Um, so obviously, I'm I'm from a a little village in North Cork in Kildare. Yeah. Um. So I had the family, friends, aunts, uncles, everyone coming. It was brilliant.
3: The 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 greater metropolis of Kildare could probably have filled the front row.
13: <laughs> they, they kind of did actually. <laughs> um. Oh, it was brilliant. So yeah. So it was uh, from the Wednesday until the Sunday. So we had like three uh, three shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we'd two shows Saturday, two shows Sunday. Um and just nearly like sold out nearly every night. It was it was amazing.
3: Your legs must be in pieces <laughs> after three
13: shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um well they they do it so alright, but like we have like ice buckets and stuff. You'd be jumping yeah. into after the after each show. And just
3: a physio, physio travels travels with the show.
13: Yeah, we've um a physio. She's brilliant, Fanda. Um, she travels with us, and it changes kind of on different tours. Which physio comes with us, and they just if you need a like any like session, you, yeah. there's like a schedule comes right. each day before like we get into the venue, and you can slot into whatever time if you need to like get something rubbed right. out or um, worked on or like she can set up a programme as well for you so it is brilliant.
3: I'm told you were practically dancing before you could walk or you pretty much stood up to <laughs> dance rather than walk but when did you get into it professionally like how long are you with the show and, and where have um, you been?
13: So professionally I've been doing it for about nearly 10 years now um, and we slaughtered the dance about 5 years Right. so um, kind of started out. I actually I went to college first, um, and then once I graduated, so I'd, I I'm a science teacher. Um, but mm-hmm. it was funny on our graduation day, we were all like, oh, like Do you know what's what school have you got or where are you going? And I, they were asking me, I was like, um, I I was actually going to Disneyland. <laughs> um, so my first gig was in downtown Disney, just a kind of Irish dancing show. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of work your way up. Kind of you hear of different shows that are touring and send off your dance CV and stuff. Um, And then eventually, after a few years' experience, I decided to send my CV off for Lord of the Dance and kind of went from there.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when you think of what grew out of an interval act at the Eurovision Song Contest, first Riverdance, then Lord of the Dance, like, what's it like to be part, Gillian, of an entertainment phenomenon like that? Like, give me some of the cities and countries you've played in. (laughs)
13: um it, it is amazing like sometimes you have to kind of take a second to like take it all in because you because you get into such a routine you kind of can sometimes forget how big a thing you're part of um but like we've been to we been to china um but we, the show tends to go to taiwan every christmas for a run of the other kind of branch of it feet of flames yes um and it takes like 90 dancers out um so that's nearly every kind of Christmas time, and we've done like like we do Europe, Eastern Europe, um, and then there's an, an American tour coming up now next month, uh, some America and Canada, which I haven't toured before, so that's quite exciting.
3: Really, you're, you're you're off on that one, yeah. There's there's so many different there's three or four different shows, is there, at one time.
13: Yeah, well, well, there is the the main one now. So the new twenty fifth anniversary one is what's touring at the moment. So we started back in 2022, and um, we opened this new kind of uh, new generation show. They were calling it, um, mm. which is the 25th anniversary tour, which is the one that was in Cork. Yes. Um, and so we opened that in the Apollo in London on Paddy's Day last year, actually. Brilliant. And and then we've just been kept going.
3: <laughs> is is it true that they pack the the floor, the actual dancing floor, into a truck and bring it with them everywhere?
13: yeah yeah so the so all the techies they're they're amazing there's like about three trucks i think we have and then especially when we're on a tour now say in europe um we'd be going to a new city every day basically so like it's quite intense like so we'd have a different schedule schedule to the techies so they'd Mm. they'd arrive to the venue like so when a show would be finished they'd pack up the whole stage all the set like the tv screens and they'd take off then they'd like our show could finish about like half 10, quarter to 11 mm. and then they get on it straight away, take down the stage into the lorries. They might be packed up by 2 a.m. and then they'd drive overnight to the next venue, set up for the next morning for our schedule to work then. To, so we could start on a stage at like two or three o'clock in the day. Are you living the, for the dream? show that <laughs> Ah, it is, it is pretty amazing. <laughs> um, you must you must be like, super I, I, fans too.
3: You must you must have fans that follow the show around.
13: Yeah, like um, like in Germany now, especially actually, um, there's uh, there is we, you'd call them super fans, I suppose, but there's a few who've been to like a couple of hundred shows. It's what? it's wild. <laughs> yeah, um, so you'd get to like they'd get to know you, and you'd get to know their names and stuff, and. They'd be at like coming side stage, and anytime we'd come back to their cities, they they'll be at the show front row.
3: <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? People get really into something.
13: Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah.
3: and the, like you said, there's, I forgot about Feet of Flames. That's another branch of the show. Michael was yeah. in. Michael was into the in into Opera House last week, wasn't he?
13: He was. He was there for open night. Mm. So he he was there, came on stage, kinda of ran through everything with us. Um and then they brought out the little girl Holly. Yes, right. That. Um, who yeah, the dancer from Kerry. Um so she came on and she, she danced for us all and she oh she's so lovely. Um so we came out while we were doing lineup and Michael brought her out and she danced for us and then asked her if she could open the show. So she actually yeah. opened the the first show in Cork for the audience. And it was brilliant.
3: What a moment for her. What a moment for her. Yeah. Gillian, uh, thanks for talking to us and continued success with Lord of the Dance in Glasgow now and heading off touring um, America and Canada and God knows where else. Gillian Monaher from Kildare, professional dancer with Lord of the Dance. It all started at the Eurovision Song Contest all those years ago. Thank you for that. I think that's it. It is. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, Pakistan had their day yesterday. Today is Indian Independence Day. So happy Indian Independence Day to any of our listeners from that part of the world. Programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. We'll talk to you tomorrow, just after nine.
2: Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.com.